are on air. This is Thursday night, October the 27th, and uh, here on Pan for Racing Radio, we will be talking about the Martinsville NASCAR Weekend Preview, along with our Hot Topic Sound Off. So joining me shortly will be our co-host, Jay Huseman. Uh, but uh, for now, I'm going to give you the uh, rundown of tonight's show. In the first half hour, we will cover some short track news and upcoming races, along with the ARCA West update. And after that, we will provide some updates for the NASCAR Truck Series, which is on break this weekend. In the next half hour, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we will close our segment with our preview of the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series elimination playoff races at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, then stay tuned for our Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Now joining me for our show tonight is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Pleasure, as always, excited to talk about racing. And we got some great racing coming up this weekend, starting with Martinsville. I know Nashville, uh, just north of me here, has a big race coming now on Saturday we'll mm-hmm. talk about. So lots to get to tonight. Yes, indeed. In fact, why don't we start uh, with Racing America. Big news, uh, the U.S. Tank All-American 400 is moved from Sunday, October the 29th, to Saturday, October the 20th. I'm sorry, Sunday, October the 30th, to Saturday, October the 29th. Uh, and that's to avoid inclement weather on Sunday. So it's going to be a big day on Saturday out at uh, Nashville Fairground Speedway. It is, and this is a tough situation they're in. we got a lot of that going on uh, right here around hometown. Uh, for me, I'm about four hours south of Nashville. A lot of plans being made. Uh, I like the fact that the racing NASCAR, um, it's actually not a NASCAR sanction, but the racetrack in, are looking at it and trying to do what's best for the fans. You know, they, they always try to get it in as best they can in the full capacity. So they're making that decision. As you said, it's going to be a full day on Saturday. Uh, Sal's going to be extremely busy. Um, he yes, may get home he earlier, is. but he might still be wore out now. Yes, he is. He, I saw the picture earlier today. Him and Sandra are on their way to Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway for the All-American 400. Uh, one of the things he's had on his checklist, uh, and he'll be able to make that check this weekend. It is. It is one of the events that I'm glad I've had the opportunity. I was considering it. Uh, had it been on Sunday, I was still thinking about it. Um, I won't be able to go up on Saturday, though, so uh, unfortunately I won't get to see Sal and Sandra, but I hope they have a good time. Enjoy it. Uh, again, I, I applaud the series for making that decision. Uh, I know it can seem hectic then and you know, change a lot of things, but it's for the best. Absolutely. Uh, now, they'll be featuring 10 different divisions of stock cars uh, as they descend upon a music city featuring f- over 40 of the most talented wheelmen in the country. Festivities will kick off Friday night, October the 28th, with the local quarter-mile championship night. All six local divisions will battle it out to attach their names in the Nashville Fairground Speedway Track Championship history. On the 29th, 
that now will be combined with the events that were to be held on Sunday, October the 30th. Um, but you'll be seeing the super and pro-late model practice and qualifying for the All-American 400. The pros will also run a special last chance showdown on Saturday. Uh, following the last chance showdown will be the Boris Compact Touring Series and CRA Stock Features. Uh, a lot of that's now been moved to um, earlier in the day on Saturday because uh, the original activities for the 30th, uh, the finale, w- was featuring a 100-lap Nashville Fairground Speedway Pro Late Model Championship and the 300-lap Super Late Model Feature combining for the U.S. Tank All-American 400 in memory of Jonathan and Julian Brown. So um, it's uh, there's a lot of names on that entry list for that All-American 400, but, again, you'll be needing to watch for that on Saturday and not Sunday. That's right, and you, you just mentioned it, and it does put a little bit of a jam up on the teams, especially uh, that, that want to be able to work on their car. The one that stuck out to me, you mentioned it, what they call the last chance qualifier or hooligan race. <laughs> I've heard it called a lot of different things. Uh, that, that sometimes is actually the most entertaining race. Uh, and I'm not just talking about uh, crashes uh, that sometimes happens, but the aggression because it's that last-ditch effort they know they got to make to make the field and have a shot at that guitar. We talked about that. That guitar is a coveted trophy as well. It certainly is. Uh, and every driver wants to get one of those guitars. Uh, there's a lot of uh, big names on the entry list, including uh, some names that you know from the truck series or the Xfinity series or SRL racing. Carson Hosevar is on this list. Sammy Smith, uh, the ARCA East champion and uh, Buddy Shepard, uh, one of the SRL racing uh, standouts, and William Sawalich. We've mentioned him several times uh, recently, having won uh, quite a few races. Bubba Pollard's on this list. Willie Allen, Jake Garcia, Carson Quapple, Daniel Dye, who just announced he's going to be racing in the uh, Craftsman Truck Series for next season. Derek Thorne. Uh, we've had him on the show several times. Uh, he's going to be racing uh, this weekend. Connor Jones. You've got Stephen Nassie, Jake Finch, uh, Tyler Tanner. Uh, let's see here. Who else do we know on this list, Jay? Well, several of them there. You mentioned uh, that as names we know from the truck series or Xfinity series moving their way up. The rest of them are ones I think you're going to see in the future. Uh, I know Bubba Pollard is one. Um, I don't know if he's ever had the opportunity. seems really content to be in the super late models and stays there and does really good. I know last week at the Winchester 400, we were surprised he wasn't on that list, but is back here in the uh, All-American. Derek Thorne, another driver, very, very talented, uh, coaches a lot of drivers. Uh, but very content to stay in the uh, super late models and uh, racing across the country now uh, with uh, his team. So uh, I know Sal's looking forward to being there this weekend. And uh, if you get a chance to be out at Nashville Fairground Speedway this weekend, uh, you will catch one of the biggest races 
uh, across the country, the All-American 400, on Saturday, October the 29th. Yeah, there are a couple others there. You mentioned the uh, champions. Uh, Hunter Robbins is one I don't think we hit. Casey Johnson, Augie Grill, uh, a local favorite. And then Matt Craig and Casey Roderick as former All-American 400s. Casey Roderick actually ran a modified on dirt here down in Meridian with uh, Why Not Motorsports Park last weekend. So, I mean, these drivers, uh, you never know what they're, what they're doing, where they're going to be. you got to keep track of them individually. Okay, that is so true. Uh, now, they're saying that Saturday, October 29th, we'll now have the grandstands opening at 1 p.m., qualifying for super and prolate models at 1.15, and opening ceremonies at 2.50, and the race features uh, beginning at 3 p.m. So that gives you the updated times uh, for some of those activities uh, to take place on Saturday. All right, let's head over to uh, Flow Racing <clears throat> because uh, there's some uh, really good news over there as well. You know, tonight the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Series is racing out at Martinsville Speedway for their championship finale. Uh, so this is going to be a big wet race. And we've seen, I know Ryan Newman's in the race, Bobby Labonte, and who is the third driver that we know racing the Modifieds this week? I'm trying Raven. to look. I know you put I sent the, the entry. Li- whoops, uh, sorry about that. Entry list for that. Let's see if I can pull that up. Okay, okay here it is. Where did, where did you have it? Uh, I know Matt oh, Hirschman is hot on the pole. Corey LaJoy is the other driver. I was trying to think of. And Corey LaJoy is actually start top five. And this is another one of names that you may not recognize. Um, some of them you will. And I know uh, Doug Colby, I think it, he had an interview on, uh, I'm trying to think of the YouTube channel it was on, but there's a, a serious points battle there and maybe some frustrations. And we've seen that Ryan Priest is another one that's also entered. Patrick yeah. Emmerling, uh, we've seen him in the Xfinity Series. Max McLaughlin, Bobby Santos the third. So, again, some names you've heard before, some names you're going to hear in the future. Okay, yep, I see him on there now. Yeah, Uh, it's going to be a big... Brian Dezot. Okay, and and that, too, is going to be a huge race tonight uh, at at Martinsville Speedway. And, uh, actually, you are able to watch that uh, on uh, Flow Racing if you want to catch all the action of the uh, Wheel and Modified Series season finale uh, that's taking place at Martinsville Speedway tonight. And I know I'm try- I was trying to look real quick if we had it in our hot topics, but you mentioned uh, Flow Racing becoming very involved with the partnership of uh, what's going on at North Wilkesboro and some um, revitalization of the tracks, not just that track, but some other tracks. I believe one in West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. That is true. Uh, NASCAR is kind of uh, increasing their partnership with Flow Racing for grassroots racing around the country, and uh, uh, that was announced earlier this week. And uh, it's uh, really big news that uh, you're going to get even more bang for your buck over at Flow Racing. 
And I, I think the biggest thing when we look at that, that here is that when you talk about some of these drivers we've mentioned, you don't know them or see them until they hit, say, the NASCAR's top three levels. This gives you that chance to become um, engaged with them and know who they are and invested in them and rooting for them before they even get to that level. Um, especially, again, I know Sal's talked about it, of different ones from other parts of the country that, being from California, he may not ever hear until they hit NASCAR's top three levels. So uh-huh. a platform like this is super exciting just to see where these other drivers come from when they pop up into the the Arca Menards or NASCAR series. Exactly. NASCAR and Flow Racing uh, will continue an unprecedented investment and commitment to grassroots racing. Uh, they've added $30,000 to the race purse for the Charlie Powell Memorial South Carolina 400 at Florence Motor Speedway on November 18th and 19th. The additional funding from Flow Racing along with the added prize money from the track and race sponsors more than doubles the race purse from 2021. Uh, Also, uh, taking part in that race at Carolina 400, uh, it was formerly known as Myrtle Beach 400, is going to be Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be competing in the event, which also features other top drivers in grassroots racing. Uh, And it will air live and exclusively on Flow Racing. So that is huge news. And we've seen that. Dale Jr. talked about that of, uh, you know, Josh Berry being his driver that came through the super late models. He's going back and investing his time in not just racing, but growing the grassroots as well as then giving those other drivers the opportunity as they get to know him and, and he gets to put eyes on him, um, picking a driver for the future, if you will. Yep. There's uh, 52 cars that are entered in this race. Uh, 52 cars entered the South Carolina 400 in 2021, and more are expected this year. Past winners at uh, Florence Motor Speedway include Dale Earnhardt Jr., Joe Nemechek, John Hunter Nemechek, and Josh Berry. So uh, that gives you an idea of uh, what can happen from participating in this event. And the fact that they've increased that purse is, uh, again, really big news. And one thing, one thing I want to highlight, I know uh, Mike talked about this as we had it as a hot topic a couple of weeks ago or so. The, the added money, a chunk of it does go to your race, but there is also a portion that is spread throughout the field. Uh, you know, we talked about that, of if it's a viable option to go racing, uh, if you're not the winning team, not even the winning team struggling, but spreading that out throughout the field, I think Flow Racing and, and all of them are putting their, the thought and hearing from the drivers and teams and spreading that payout throughout the field as well. Okay. Two other things I want to mention very quickly here um, is that uh, – hold on, I lost my notes here. Uh, One thing was that uh, they also, along with the Wayland Modified Race that's taking place over at uh, Flow Racing, they released the – uh, schedule for next season, and it is uh, one of the biggest schedules they've had uh, since 2004. So
So if you want to check that out, it is available over at uh, Flow Racing, and uh, you'll be able to see all of the races that are scheduled for next year. I think it's around 19 races. I can't put my hands on it right now, but that is available over at Flow Racing if you want to check that out. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on. One other thing I wanted to mention before we move on uh, and before I forget, the ARCA West Series is not racing this weekend, uh, but they will be racing next weekend for their season finale, uh, Friday, November the 4th, out at Phoenix Raceway. That race will be available via live streaming on Flow Racing. It is also available on radio via MRN and Sirius XM channel 391 online and uh, 981. Also, ARCA Racing will have that uh, radio coverage as well. There will also be the tape delay on USA on Friday, November the 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, but I always encourage people, check your local listings uh, for any time differences there. But, uh, yeah, they are definitely racing um, next weekend for that season finale. And I know next Thursday we'll do a big preview on that as as we get uh, prior to that weekend. Um, other than that, there's some other big news, though, coming out of the Arkham Menard series. And you mentioned it a little earlier as one of the names, Daniel Dye, as he's looking to move up after a runner-up finish uh, in the championship. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are running a little behind here, Jay, so we're going to have to move on. Uh, we do have, if you want to see that, it is available over at ARCARacing.com, and uh, I'd encourage everybody to check that out because, again, that's big news racing for GMS Racing uh, and uh, uh, racing in the Craftsman's Truck Series full-time next season. Okay, moving on to our uh, truck update for the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, they were racing their last race under the Craftsman Truck Series banner, the Lucas Oil 150 at Phoenix Raceway on Friday, November the 4th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, now, we'll do a bigger preview of this race next Thursday night, but uh, we'll give you a few notes here uh, for tonight of what's happening in the Truck Series. And one of the things that you wanted, you mentioned was Daniel Dye competing with the Truck Series for next season. Yeah, he will go full-time with GMS Racing in the 2023 Craftsman Truck Series. Now, he joined GMS Racing in 2021 to run a part-time Arkham Nards East schedule, then made the transition to racing full-time now here in 2023, be behind the number 43 truck. And at 18 years old, will compete for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors. So that's uh, really good news for Daniel Dye. We also have uh, Chandler Smith, uh, who drives the number 18 Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota. He's going to head to Phoenix next weekend with a mountain of confidence because he won the Truck Series season finale last season but was eliminated from the playoffs in the round of eight. So this season, for the first time in Truck Series' career, he has a shot at the title. Below are Smith's stats heading into Phoenix next weekend. Um, <clears throat> his uh, Truck Series stats for the season, 
has three wins at Las Vegas, Pocono, and Richmond. He has eight top fives, 15 top tens, 440 laps led, and an average start of 7.3 with an average finish of 9.0. Do you want to talk about his uh, career truck series stats from 2019 to the present? Well, he's got a total we'll, we'll of 60 starts. Okay, uh, he's got a total a career total of 60 starts with five wins, 22 top fives, 33 top tens, and one pole coming in 2021. He's led a total of 746 laps. Average start for his career, 8.9, with an average finish of 12.8. His uh, playoff stats from 21 and 22 include three playoff wins. He won at Bristol, Phoenix, in 21, and Richmond in 22. He has 13 starts that, that include four top fives and eight top tens. Now here's a highlight. Three starts at Phoenix Raceway. He's got one win coming in 2021, three top fives and three top tens, total of 40 laps led, 9.3 on the average start, average finish 2.3. Uh, we've seen it. You pretty much got to win or be right there in contention if you're going to win that championship. Absolutely. Uh, crew chief Danny, his crew chief is Danny Stockman Jr. Uh, he's made his way around NASCAR, having experience in all three national series. He first joined the Camping World Truck Series in 2010, leading driver Austin Dillon, um, the Dupe would win the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series in uh, 2011. Stockman also led Dillon to the NASCAR Xfinity Series title in 2013. Stockman then joined Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2020, working with several drivers on the number 51 team. Then he switched to the 18 team in 2021 and has worked full-time with Chandler Smith ever since. In Stockman's 115 Camping World Truck Series starts as a crew chief, he's posted 13 wins, 41 top fives, 66 top tens, and 14 poles. So pretty impressive stats there for the crew chief and the driver. Well, and we'll look at another uh, contender, and it's, into, it's a big one, Ben Rhodes, the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Toyota. He's the defending series champion and have his chance at becoming just the second driver in NASCAR Camping World Truck Series history to win back-to-back championships. And that would put him on the list with his Thor Sport Racing teammate, Matt Crafton. Crafton did it in 2013 and 14. Now, this is just the second time he has qualified for the championship for uh, round, and again, we'll look at his yearly stats um, as well as career, and then Phoenix. You want to go ahead and do the season stats? Okay. Okay. Uh, on the t- on the yearly campaign for 2022, he's got one win at the Bristol Dirt Track, total of seven top fives and 12 top tens, led a total of 263 laps. For the year, he started average of 11.2 with a finish of 12.1. With regard to his career stats, from 2014 to the present, he has 163 starts, including six wins, 48 top fives, 88 top tens, and five poles. He's led 1,098 laps. His average start 
uh, for his career is 9.0 and his average finish in 11.6. When we look at total playoff stats, and that comes from 2017, 18, and then 2020 through 2022, he's got the one playoff win, which came at Las Vegas in 2020, 34 starts, 11 top fives, and 18 top tens, along with two poles. Now for his stats at Phoenix Raceway, he has seven starts there, including three top fives, four top tens. He's led 48 laps, has an average start of 5.1 with an average finish of 9.3. Now his crew chief is Ryan Lucius, and he got his first start as a crew chief in the Camping World Truck Series in 2016. I'm sorry, Rich uh, Lucius, uh, when he ran one race with Ryan Truex. Lucius then ran a full-time season with Myatt Schneider in 2018 before joining Rhodes in the 99 Thor Sport Racing Team full-time in 2021. Their first full season together, Rhodes and Lucius won the Camping World Truck Series title and now looking to go back-to-back. In his five years in the Camping World Truck Series as a crew chief, Lucius has made 70 starts, posted three wins, 18 top fives, and 36 top tens from the top of the box. Okay, pretty cool. Next up, we've got Zane Smith. He drives the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports Ford. He heads to Phoenix Raceway this weekend, hoping the third time is the charm for him as he'll be competing in the championship four round for the third consecutive season. Uh, Now, previous two seasons have... uh, ended in runner-up finishes in the championship standings. So Smith is hoping to deliver Front Row Motorsports its first Camping World Truck Series title. Uh, Now we'll talk about, uh, again, we'll break this down into season stats, uh, then his uh, career stats, playoff stats, and raceway stats, Phoenix raceway stats. I'll start with uh, the season stats He has three wins at Daytona, Coda, and Kansas, 13 top fives, 18 top tens, 415 laps led. His average start is 10.1. His average finish is 8.0. And his career, it spans from 2018 through the right now, the present. He's got a total of 68 starts, six of those being wins, 24 top fives, and 46 top tens. He's been out front for a total of 922 laps, has an average start at 8.7, average finish at 10.4. Next up is uh, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, stats from 2020 to 22. That includes one playoff win at Martinsville in 2021, and then his 20 starts, he's got nine top fives and 13 top tens. Now, his Phoenix Raceway stats are a little limited. He's only got the two starts, but they've been good ones. Two top fives, both of them obviously being top tens. Led a total of 48 laps. Average start is 7.5. And the key one, average finish, 3.5. Pretty impressive. Now, uh, Zane Smith's crew chief is Chris Lawson. He has five years' experience in the truck series and is in his first full-time season with driver Zane Smith and his third with the 38 Front Row Motorsports team. 
He has 81 career stats as a crew chief in the Camping World Truck season. He's led two drivers to wins, including Todd Gilliland, who won at Coda in 2021, and Zane Smith winning at Daytona, Coda 22, and Kansas. His teams have also finished in the top five 26 times and the top ten um, an amazing 45 times. Well, and with another win, we got to cover Thor Sports Racing's Ty Majeski as he won last weekend at Homestead, Miami. And he, he's driving for the number 66 Thor Sport Racing Toyota, heads to Phoenix Raceway to make his first career appearance in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Championship Round of Four. And Majeski is looking to become just the third different driver to win a Camping World Truck Series title for Thor Sport Racing. He would join Matt Crafton's three, his back-to-back in 13 and 14, as well as 19, and then last year's Ben Rhodes, where he picked up his first. When we look at his yearly stats, he's got two wins, both coming in the playoffs we'll get to, Bristol and Homestead, total of 10 top fives, 15 top tens, and three poles. Been out front for 306 laps, his average start 7.8, and his average finish is under 10 at 9.6. Okay, now looking at his career from 2019 to the present day, he has 42 starts, 2 wins, 10 top 5s, and 20 top 10s. He's led 306 laps, has an average start of 11.4 with an average finish at 13.4. You mentioned his playoff run. It's been a good one. He's got the two playoff wins already, Bristol and Homestead, Miami. In the six starts, he put up three top fives, half of them, and then a total of five top tens. Has to be considered a, a favorite going into Phoenix. Okay. He's only raced once at Phoenix Raceway, and that included an 11th place finish. Well, we'll see if he can improve on that alongside Crew Chief Joe Shear Jr. Uh, he's been the Crew Chief experience dating back to 1995. I believe that's when the uh, Camping World Truck Series started. But he's made a mark in all three NASCAR National Series. Uh, he first began as a Crew Chief in the Truck Series in 1998 and since has made a total of 330 total series starts. He won the 2016 championship with driver Johnny Sauter. And plus, over the 18 years in those 330 starts, he's totaled 26 wins, 108 top fives, 174 top tens, and 14 poles. Now, this is his first full-time season with Majeski, but he did have the one-off race with him during the 2021 season as well. The duo have combined to put up those two wins, 10 top fives, in 15 top 10s in the 23 series starts. Okay. Now, uh, we're going to go ahead now. Uh, those are the final four drivers that will be competing for the championship at Phoenix next week. Uh, we'll give you more details next Thursday when we do the Phoenix preview. Uh, moving on to the Xfinity series, uh, they are racing this weekend. The Dead on Tools 250 at Martinsville Speedway is Saturday, October the 29th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the purse, $1,339,357. Uh, it'll be on uh, pre-race coverage. will start on NBC at 3 p.m. Eastern, along with radio coverage on MRN. 
Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They will be racing a distance of 131.5 miles over 250 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 60 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 60, stage 2 on lap 120. And the final stage is 130 laps, ending on lap 250. Well, the first thing we want to look at is a manufacturer update. Uh, Chevrolet is leading the competition with 24 wins, coming from Austin Hill with two. Noah Gregson has eight. A.J. Allmendinger, five. Josh Berry's got three, as well as Justin Algar. Tyler Reddick has one. Kyle Larson got him one. And then Jeremy Clements also had one. A Toyota has racked up six wins in the Xfinity Series, five of them being from Ty Gibbs, and Brandon Jones has one. Ford has one lone victory in the Xfinity Series this season, and that came from Cup star Cole Custer. Okay. There's only one rookie in the 2022 playoffs, and that is Austin Hill. He's continuing to lead the Sunoco rookie uh uh, class in the Xfinity Series with 3,106 points. He's a Richard, his Richard Childress Racing teammate, Sheldon Creed, slides in next at 674 points. Then it's Kyle Segan third at 182 points, and Jesse Awuji takes the final rookie spot at 94 points. Uh, but Austin Hill pretty much gets that rookie of the year as the only driver in the playoffs. That does uh, guarantee it for him. And when we evaluate this, the Xfinity Series playoff for Martinsville Speedway, we got two spots that are still up for grabs to make it into the Xfinity Series playoffs championship four round. Uh, so when we consider a few of our playoff drivers have posted wins at Martinsville, the half-mile track, uh, anyone could end up in victory lane. You want me to go from the bottom up here and look at their stats? Yeah. Do we want to do two-by-two two or every other one? We'll we'll do two by two. I'll go with uh, start here with Brandon Jones. He's a driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's posted four starts at Martinsville Speedway. His victory came in 2022. Has two top fives and four top tens. Led a total of 44 laps. An average start of 12.8. Average finish 5.3. Sam Mayer. He's driver of the number one junior motorsport Chevrolet. He's only got two starts at Martinsville, but there are two top fives with obviously two top tens. The average finish of 16 point, I should say average start is 6.0. The average finish at 4.5. Okay. Next up is Austin Hill, the rookie of the uh, group here. He drives the number 21 RCR Chevrolet, and he made his first start at Martinsville Speedway earlier this season when he finished in fourth place. Justin Algauer, the veteran, he's the driver of the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet. He has four starts at the half-mile Virginia track. He's posted two top fives and three top tens. His average start of 3.8, and he has an average finish of 11.3. Now we'll get into some of the ones that have been winning regularly throughout the year. A.J. Allmendinger, he's driver of the number 16 Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He's given Martinsville Speedway a go four times in his Xfinity career. He's posted one top five, two top tens, 
led a total of 68 laps. Average start is 13.8. Average finish just a tick lower at 12.3. Ty Gibbs, he's driving the number 54 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's got three career starts at Martinsville Short Track. Posted one top five, two top tens, but also picked up a pole in 2022. He has led a total of 241 laps. His average start is 6.3. The average finish, though, is 13.3. Okay, these next two drivers have already punched their ticket into the final four. We'll start with Josh Berry, the driver of the number eight junior motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, he was the first round of eight playoff driver to clinch his spot for a championship for a round at Phoenix Raceway next weekend. But he could once again take the checkered flag this weekend. In his three starts at Martinsville, he's posted one win. That was in 2021. He also has one top five, one top ten. He's led 95 laps with an average start of 22.7, but his average finish comes in at 16.0. Now, Noah Gregson, at the top of the list, is driver of the number nine junior motorsports Chevrolet, a teammate to Josh Berry. He's already clinched his spot into the championship for but he could very well be on track for another playoff win this weekend. In his four starts at Martinsville Speedway, he has posted a win in 2021. He also has three top fives and three top tens. He's led 211 laps has an average start of 5.5, and his average finish is the best of the group at 6.5. Plus, he's the defending winner of this playoff race just last season. Okay. Well, that and his up. momentum puts him – what's that? Go ahead. I was going to say that and the momentum he's got puts him as one of the dangerous drivers this weekend for sure. It but definitely gonna... does. Okay, putting it others. all on the line, the six yep, postseason cha- challengers who have not clinched their spot in the NASCAR Xfinity Series Playoff Championship four round will have to go big or go home this weekend at Martinsville. Uh, with Noah Gregson's win at Homestead, Miami last weekend, he sits as a standings leader at 3,169 points. And as we said earlier, Josh Berry ranks second in the playoff standings. With his win at Las Vegas, he has 3,095 points. And sliding into third is Ty Gibbs at 3,138 points, and A.J. Almendinger right behind him at 3,113 points. Those that are just outside the final four cut line is uh, Justin Algauer at 3,108. He's five points back, just two points behind Algauer is the rookie, Austin Hill, seven points back. So that's pretty tight right there. But then there's Sam Mayer, 28 points back, and Brandon Jones, 38 points back. Now this season will mark the second time in Gregson's career that he's qualified for the championship for a round. He did it last year and again this year. And this will be uh, his teammate, uh, Josh Berry's first career appearance in the series final round. Now, Justin Algauer is looking to also make the championship for a round for a series-leading fifth time in his career starting in 16, 17, 19, and 20. Now, Colleague Racing's Adrian Allmendinger is looking to make the final round for the second straight season after qualifying last year. And the remaining four drivers, Ty Gibbs, Austin Hill, Sam Mayer, and Brandon Jones, 
are all looking for their first appearance in the championship four. So we've pretty much covered it. Those drivers that uh, are below those final eight, uh, the round of eight are Daniel Hemrick in ninth, Riley Erbst in tenth, and Ryan Sieg, along with Jeremy Clements, sitting in 12th place. Well, as you ran uh, down the points there, it comes down to the wire as Martinsville Speedway will determine those four championship contenders for the 22-2022 championship. And we mentioned junior motorsports teammates Josh Bear and Noah Gregson. They've each clinched their spots into that championship four round with their respective wins in the round of eight. Barry's at Las Vegas and Gregson last at the Homestead Miami. So with only one race left to determine which two drivers will join Barry and Gregson in Phoenix, the remaining six playoff drivers will be sure to put on a show as they fight to the finish line. Now keep in mind with two spots available, at least one will advance on points. So when we take a look at what each driver is looking at on their way to racing their way into the championship four round. Noah Gregson and Josh Berry pretty much uh, just having this one for a free ride, if you will, as they are locked in. Now, to clinch via points, it would be a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round and being ahead of the third winless driver in the standings. And that would go true if a new win comes from amongst Ty Gibbs or A.J. Allmendinger as well. So Ty Gibbs would require 26 points, A.J. Allmendinger, 51, and that's out of a total of 60 available. So Allgaier Hill, Sam Mayer, and Brandon Jones um, could only do it with help, and Brandon Jones would not be able to do it if A.J. wins. Now, if the new winner is from Justin Allgaier or another winless driver lower in the standings but eligible to advance to the next round, then the clinch scenario becomes a little different as you've got to be ahead of the second winless driver in the standings. There, Ty Gibbs, the only one that could do it, he'd need 31 points. A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Algar, Austin Hill, Sam Mayer would all need help. And as always, you win and you're in. You win and you move on. So any one of the drivers mentioned could move on with that victory, which is the thing to do, <laughs> the plan to do, I guess. Okay, Martinsville Short Track is hosting the playoff round of eight elimination race. Uh, the last weekend is now heading into the penultimate race of the season, the Vet on Tools 250, taking place on Saturday, the 29th. The half-mile track is located in Virginia and has hosted 38 Xfinity Series races, uh, giving us 24 different race winners and 19 different pole winners. The inaugural Xfinity Series race at Martinsville was on March 28th of 1982, and that was won by Sam Ard. Ty Gibbs sits as the track's youngest Xfinity Series pole winner. He claimed the award earlier this season at just 19 years, 6 months, and 4 days old. With the pole award, he also set the track's qualifying record at 95.985 miles per hour. Harrison Burton became the youngest winner at the track at the age of 20 years, 22 days. But it is Sam Ard who set the race record in 1982 with a speed of 79.607 miles per hour. 
Only six Xfinity Series races have been won from the pole or first starting spot at Martinsville, most recently by Jimmy Hensley on November 1st of 87. Hensley also holds the records for the most lead lap finishes at 14 and is tied with Tommy Houston for the most top tens at 17. Playoff driver Brandon Jones is the most recent winner at Martinsville, snagging the checkered flag by a margin of victory of .677 earlier this season. Playoff drivers A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Hill, Sam Mayer, and Ty Gibbs also finished inside the top ten when the series ran at Martinsville earlier in the season. Now, this will be the third consecutive year that Martinsville has uh, served as the penultimate or sixth race in the Xfinity Series playoffs, the elimination race of the round of eight from 2020 to 2022. The track was not on the Xfinity Series schedule from 2007 to 2019. So two drivers have won the two previous Xfinity Series playoff races at Martinsville. That would be Harrison Burton grabbing his victory in 2020, and Noah Gregson won there in 2021. Now the NASCAR Xfinity Series will hit the track for practice on Friday, October the 28th at 4 p.m., followed by qualifying at 4.35 p.m., both Eastern Time, on the USA Network and streamed on the NBC Sports app. Uh, we'll now move over to the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, they also have an elimination race this weekend. The Xfinity 500 on, at Martinsville Speedway will run Sunday, October the 30th, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with a purse of $8,132,735. That pre-race coverage will start on NBC starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern with uh, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 263 miles over 500 laps. The first two stages are 130 laps with stage one ending on lap 130. Stage two ends on lap 260. And the final stage uh, ends on lap 500 for 240 laps. Well, and we got to watch for some milestones uh, this season. We have two drivers that will be making milestone starts in the last two races of the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. This weekend at Martinsville, it will be Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain. He'll be making his 150th NASCAR Cup Series career start. And then at next weekend at Phoenix Raceway, it's Spire Motorsports' Corey LaJoy, and he'll be making his 200th NASCAR Cup Series career start. Very cool. One of our favorite features uh, during the uh, preview show is the matchups, and uh, for, we'll look at those matchups for the Xfinity 500. Why don't you start with the first one from the bottom, Jay? Well, and there were a lot of different ways you could have gone with this one. Uh, they have it listed, though, the first one, Christopher Bell versus Ryan Blaney. Now, it's been a string of bad luck in the round of eight for both Christopher Bell and Ryan Blaney. Both Bell and Blaney had two of the best cars in Las Vegas. Bell was taken out early, and then Blaney had an incident while in first place late in the race. So now they both sit below the cut line. Blaney is only 18 points behind the cut line, so he could conceivably point his way in to Phoenix. 
But Bell is 33 points back, so he finds himself in a similar predicament to the Roval, where he won his way into the round of eight. Now, if either of these drivers don't want to ensure a spot in the championship for a round, they might have to be the first to cross that finish line there at Martinsville. Okay, next up we have Ross Chastain and Chase Elliott. Finishing second, Ross Chastain was unable to track down the best car in the field at Homestead, Miami, as Kyle Larson took home that victory. Now, Elliott finished 14th, but both him and Chastain are in a good position heading into the final race before the season finale at Phoenix. Now, both guys, uh, they need stage points and a solid finish, so that will be the goal as they push to point or win their way into Phoenix. This is uh, also one of Elliott's best tracks as he has the highest driver rating in the field at 117.3. He also won the playoff race here in 2020. Well, that was a driver. I didn't know who they'd match up. Here was the other one, though. you got Denny Hamlin, and that's versus William Byron. Uh, The final spot in the championship four round could come down to Denny Hamlin and William Byron as they currently sit uh, separated by five points. Byron is five points above Hamlin for that final spot, despite Hamlin finishing seventh and Byron finishing 14th at Homestead last weekend. Stage points were the critical in Miami for Byron, who won the pole and finished second and, thir- and third in stage one and two. Now, Byron won earlier this year at Martinsville, and if he wins again, he won't have to worry about the points. He has a total of four top fives in his last seven races at Martinsville, while Hamlin has three. And back in his home state, Hamlin will be looking to to run his best race of the season as he chases his elusive first championship. Okay, and now for our top matchup, it's Kyle Larson versus Martin Truex Jr. What a dominant race it was for Kyle Larson out at Homestead Miami Speedway last week. He led 199 laps on his way to victory, and despite no longer being in the playoffs, Larson captured his first win at the 1.5-mile track. With only two weeks left in the season, both Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson are out of the driver playoffs, but that hasn't stopped them from racing hard and competing for wins um, down the stretch here. Now, this week we head to Martinsville, which has been historically known as one of Martin Truex Jr.'s best tracks. Watching these two competitors race with their teammates who are in the playoffs will be one of the best parts of the race this Sunday. Now, we talked about milestone. There's a record here, though. Chase Elliott's record of fewest starts before earning a spot in the championship four is in jeopardy. The Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott currently holds that record for the fewest starts in NASCAR Cup Series prior to earning a spot in the championship four round at 184 starts, and that came in the 2020 championship season. But with several playoff contenders making such deep dives into the postseason so early in their careers this year, Elliott's record could be in jeopardy. Currently, four drivers have the opportunity to become that driver with the fewest starts before making the championship four round. And they have William Byron. He's got 179 starts following Martinsville this weekend. Ross Jastain, we mentioned, will make start 150. Christopher Bell only has 107 starts. 
and then Chase Briscoe with only 71 starts. So that's an interesting stat there I wasn't aware of. Yeah, I wasn't either. That's pretty interesting. Now, there's uh, some drivers that are on the outside looking in, including Hamlin, Blaney, Bell, and Briscoe. They have one last shot uh, to make it into that championship for a round, and it all comes down to this weekend at Martinsville Speedway in the Xfinity 500. Uh, Now, uh, that race will decide who will move on and compete for the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series title at Phoenix Raceway on November the 6th. Four drivers are facing elimination heading into this weekend, uh, and it's those drivers that are below that cut line. Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin's down five. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney is down 18. Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell is down 33 points. And Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe is down 44 points. They will have to battle it out to earn their spot into the playoffs final round. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin is the postseason veteran of these four drivers that are below the cut line heading into this weekend. Uh, He's looking to make the final playoff round for the fifth time in his career. He was there in 14, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, Right now, five points back, uh, William Byron is in the fourth and final transfer spot on points. If Hamlin or Bell do not make the championship four round this season, it'll be the first time since the inception of the elimination stop format that started in 2014 that Joe Gibbs Racing has not occupied at least one spot in the championship four. Fortunately for Joe Gibbs Racing and Denny Hamlin, Martinsville Speedway is one of his best tracks, considering it one of his uh, home tracks. In 33 career cup starts at the half-mile short track, the Virginia native has accumulated four poles, five wins, most among the active drivers. He has 16 top fives and 22 top tens. His average finish at Martinsville is a stout 10.7, second only to Ryan Blaney's 10.2 amongst the playoff contenders. Now, Hamlin will look to rebound from his performance at Martinsville earlier this season. He finished 28th earlier this year. He was the last car on the lead lap. And even with a decent points deficit to overcome to make the championship four round, he's 18 points back. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney heads to Martinsville, knowing he has a shot because he's run well at the half-mile paperclip-shaped track. Blaney is looking to make the championship for a round for the first time in his career and his sixth appearance in the playoffs. The North Carolina native has made 13 series starts at the, the Martinsville track, posting six top fives and seven top tens. He leads all eight remaining playoff contenders in average finish at Martinsville with that 10.2, and he finished fourth there earlier this season. Then there's Joe Gibbs racing Christopher Bell. He's been on a roller coaster of a playoff run this season, and he's facing elimination and overcoming the odds are not an issue for the young superstar. Bell won his way into the round of eight with a victory at at the Charlotte Road Course, and this weekend as they head to Martinsville Speedway, he's in just about the same circumstances 
facing elimination and being 33 points back with one race left to earn that spot into the next round. Now, Bell is looking to make the championship for a round for the first time in his career in just his second postseason appearance. In five series starts at Martinsville, Bell has one top 10 finish and has an average finish of 17.4. He finished 20th at Martinsville earlier this season. Now, facing the most, facing a must-win situation is Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe. He has nothing to lose and everything to gain. This Indiana native is buried in a deficit of points, 44 markers back from the championship four-round cut line. Now, he's looking to earn his spot into the playoffs final round for the first time in his first postseason appearance. Now, Briscoe's made three career starts at Martinsville, the fewest among the playoff contenders. He's putting up He's put up a one top ten finish. His average finish at the half-mile track is 19.3. He finished ninth at Martinsville earlier this season. Now well, we'll look at those below the, <laughs> Yeah, we looked at below, and then we didn't look at above. And those drivers are Chastain, Elliott, and Byron as they look to hold on at Martinsville. Those three drivers above the cutoff line in the NASCAR cam, or NASCAR trucker. Yeah. Let me try that again. The three drivers above the cutoff for the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs championship full around is Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain at plus 19. Hendrick Motorsports teammate Chase Elliott is at plus 11. And William Byron at plus 5. And they'll look to have their best this weekend at Martinsville Speedway as they have to hold off those four drivers below the cut line vying for their positions. We start with Trackhouse Racing's Ross Jastain as he heads to Martinsville Speedway this weekend as the highest-ranked driver not already locked in the championship for a round. Round for the first time in his career as well in his first appearance in his first appearance in the playoffs. The Florida native has made seven series starts at Martinsville Short Track. He's posted one top one top ten and an average finish of 24.3. He finished fifth at Martinsville earlier this season. Now, Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott, he arrives at Martinsville Speedway this weekend, sitting just 11 points above the championship four-round cut line, which is the second largest cushion of points among the seven contenders vying for those three spots. He's the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion and the 2022 regular season champion. Elliott is on the hunt for his third consecutive career appearance in the championship four round, having done it in 2020 and in 2021. And Elliott is no stranger to winning his way into the championship four round at Martinsville. He accomplished the feat in 2020. In 14 career starts at the .526 mile track, the Georgia native has made 17 series starts, putting up one pole, the one win in 2020, five top fives and eight top tens. His average finish at Martinsville is 13.4, and he finished 10th earlier this season. That leaves us with Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron. He's showing up to Martinsville with a lot of confidence this weekend, He's the most recent winner at the .526 mile short track earlier this year. Byron is on a quest to earn a spot in the championship four 
round for the first time in his cup career and his fourth appearance in the playoffs. A North Carolina native has made nine starts at Martinsville, collecting a one win in 2022, along with four top fives and five top tens. Average finish at the Virginia short track, 15.1. So there you have it. Okay, that'll be it for our preview of the NASCAR Cup Series Elimination Race at Martinsville Speedway this weekend. Uh, Now we are at that time of the night that it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and we have a couple of people joining us here tonight. We'll start with Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, Doing really well. Uh, Looking forward to our conversation here tonight. We also have with us Tommy Kraft. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Thanks for having me back. It's always good to have you. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with our first hot topic, Andy. What's uh, first on the list tonight? Uh, Taking a look at the former um, David Gilliland Racing, they've renamed themselves uh, Tricon Garage, and they will partner officially with Toyota Racing Development for 2023. Okay, that was big news that came out today. Tommy, what are your thoughts about uh, the news with David Gilliland Racing now being Tricon Racing, or Tricon Garage, I should say? I thought the name was pretty interesting. I don't understand why they didn't keep it as uh, DGR and just rebranded with Toyotas. But uh, my other takeaways from that were Corey Heim is now full-time with them as a Toyota, so Toyota was able to keep him. And then my other question is, is obviously since uh, it's no longer DGR and they're no longer Ford, uh, where does Haley Deegan go? So, because um, both Gray brothers are going uh, with the switch to Tricon to with the Toyotas. So, um, at least Corey Heim gets to stay in the Toyota stable because, you know, Toyotas most likely probably, didn't they lose Chandler Smith, who's with Kyle Busch? And um, John Hunter Nemechek, you know, I'm sure Toyota's going to find a way to keep him, whether that be in the Xfinity Series or, you know, wherever he goes. But they were able to keep Corey Hobb. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know much about the Grays. Uh, I know that they were – they've been with David Gillen in the Ford and they've been in the Arca Series. But I'm not sure if I've seen one of them win a truck race yet. But, uh, I mean, hey, they're now part of the Toyota developmental drivers. So, uh, at least Toyota's gained another team now that Kyle Busch is leaving, and it's going to be a four-car team, three full-time cars, right, and a, a part-time car that they're going to let stars run in, I believe is what I saw, right, or at least rotate some drivers. But, yeah, where does Haley Deegan go in all this? Um, my best guess would probably be uh, four team uh, in the, you know, the current truck series, like uh, Front front Road Motorsports, I guess, or – um, does she go to Stuart Haas uh, in the Xfinity Series, which they've only got one car right now with um, Riley Earps. But, you know, she's signed with Ford, and she's going to be, you know, a highly marketable driver. So I would suspect that she gets uh, gets in somewhere. And I did see, too, where Corey Hines going to keep his JBL sponsorship, and I they have some other sponsors uh, staying with him, too, like Mobile One, and um, I can't remember the other one. But either way... Uh, 
just excited to see the uh, the new team next year. Um, February is only going to be four months away in a in a week or so. So already, like, not even into the season yet, and I'm already thinking about the next season. Okay. Um... Jay, your thoughts. Well, this is an opinion. Excuse me. This is an opinion-based section of the show, so I'm gonna give some opinions. Uh, the Tricon name. I'm not a big fan of that. I understand. I did read read up on why it was named that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, though. I'll go with that. I will do my best to not call it DGR, but it is Tricon Garage, uh, as you have put it. Uh, it's good for Toyota. There's good and bad here. It's good for Toyota. They have replaced KBM with their developmental pipeline um, here starting in the truck series. You got the grays. Um, I know Tommy mentioned that uh, Tanner is in his, I believe, third, maybe fourth year. Or maybe he's just been with uh, DGR that long. Um, Taylor won't be able to run all the races. I think he's got to wait till he turns 18 for the third He'll miss three races. We've seen this before. Being that that's an age requirement, and he attempts all the other races, he should still be eligible based on previous, and I can't think of the driver. I want to say maybe Todd Gillen was the one that got that exemption. Um, so they got a solid team there. You mentioned the third, uh, Corey Heim, the third full-time driver. Toyota had said they were committed to a couple of Drivers, Corey Heim being one of them, John Hunter Nemechek the other, and I'll mention or get back to that on the second go round. Um, so Corey Heim, uh, their full-time driver there that they have committed to um, to go full-time, and then Tommy mentioned it, and I think this is part of why David Gillen went from Toyota through back in 19, and then he switched over to Ford and has come back to Toyota. They bring a set of sponsorships that I think are connected with Toyota. You mentioned JBL being one of them. There were several listed. I don't have it uh, off the top of my head, but that are partnered with Toyota. So by becoming the Toyota team, like DGR has now become as part of Tricon Garage, those sponsorships are set and taken care of. Um, how they divide them up, I don't know, but we'll, they, they take care of the whole team. So that's a good thing. Um, and I think as Mike mentioned it, though, it's a bad thing when it comes to Ford losing these drivers or possible future drivers. And again, I'll, I'll address uh, Haley Deegan on the backside, uh, second go round. But they lost the Grays. Tanner and Taylor Gray had been coming through the Ford pipeline, if you will, under DGR when they were Ford. So uh, there's always good and bad to it, but overall, uh, we knew it was going to happen. Toyota was going to find another team. It happened to be DGR, which is now Tricon Garage. Yeah, this was pretty much highly anticipated that um, uh, DGR was going to be moving from Fords into Toyotas. Uh, talking about the Tricon name, uh, the name change is based on the word tri and icon encompassing the partners in the organization and their plans to compete in three titles. Now, uh, when they're talking about the partners in the organization, they're talking about David Gilliland. They're talking about Johnny Gray, who happens to be the grandfather for Taylor and Tanner Gray, and uh, Toyota Racing Development. And then they are also um, 
looking to go for the driver's championship, the owner's championship, and the manufacturer's championship. Again, I try. And then the team is also involved in three different industries, racing, fabrication, and transportation. So uh, that's where the Tri-Icon comes in, uh, Tri-Con. Um, and uh, you, I agree with what everyone said up to this point. Uh, it's an unfortunate loss for Ford because these drivers have done very well uh, in their racing careers and will continue to do well. Um, it's a big plus for Toyota. They needed a win. And uh, this was a big win for them uh, with David Gilliland Racing moving over to Toyota because we've been talking about it. Toyota's been kind of in the same situation as Ford uh, with uh, losing Kyle Busch Motorsports as well as Kyle Busch under that Toyota banner. So this is a big win for them uh, uh, coming in with uh, the 2023 season with Tricon Garage. Um, it's it's uh, a little bit different uh, name, but I kind of like their, uh, their explanation for how they came up with that name and where they're going with it. I think they wanted to come into this season with totally different branding, and uh, this was their way of doing that. Uh, David Gilliland did... Uh, say somewhere today on social media that this is going to be a hard, for, a hard transition for him taking his name out of the organization. But uh, he is, of course, one of the biggest partners uh, between him, Johnny Gray, and Toyota Racing Development. Uh, you're right, the one car is going to be a part-time car. Uh, they haven't announced who those drivers are going to be yet. Um, Corey Heim doesn't turn 18 until the Coda race, so uh, they'll have somebody else in the car for those races prior to Coda, and um, uh, then Taylor will take it over from that point forward once he turns 18. Uh, And Tanner Gray has already had an impressive run. Keep in mind, this is not just in the Craftsman's Truck Series, but they will also be fielding cards in the Arca Menard Series, uh, this season uh, of 2023 as well. So uh, it's not just the Craftsman's Truck Series for next series next year, but also the Arkham Menard Series seasons. So uh, that's exciting as well. And uh, I I think it's all uh, a positive uh, for David Gilliland and and the organization and uh, uh, for these drivers. Uh, to be, again, part of the Toyota Racing Development Program. And it gives them some uh, really up-and-coming drivers. Uh, I will say Tanner uh, Tanner Gray was very good at the Las Vegas Bull Ring where he pretty much dominated that race. And um, uh, I look for them to have really good seasons coming up here in 2023. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, obviously this was um, a move that wasn't um, unforeseen. I think that it has been rumored for a bit, and um, it makes sense if you're Toyota to try to replace the void ultimately that will be left by Kyle Busch Motorsports, obviously with his move 
to a Chevrolet team, we can only imagine that that team will follow suit. So it makes sense um, to maintain its presence in the truck series by adding another team. Obviously, uh, Tricon, as they're now called, was an existing team, and um, it allows Toyota to continue to develop talent uh, along with ThorSport in the truck series. That being said, I, I do see this as a, a pretty significant loss for Ford in the truck series. They, with the exception of some maybe some part-time teams or perhaps lesser-funded teams that I'm not even aware of at this point, the only Ford that sticks out now is the 38 front row truck of Zane Smith. So that leaves realistically um, one Ford truck in the truck series for possible development. And then when you look at the Xfinity series, um, you know, you've really got just the one Stuart Haas car. So I look at Ford's development program as uh, in need of some bolstering, if you will. And maybe that's exactly what will happen. Time will tell. Um, You've already alluded to the fact that Haley Deegan is, is likely to go somewhere. And um, that all remains to be seen at this point, uh, what's going to happen to her. Really no obvious places to go unless um, some new seats are created. And hopefully they do from the standpoint of Ford trying to build up its development program. But obviously uh, when I look at what Tricon is doing from a business standpoint, certainly um, you have to believe that what they did was right for them to repartner with Toyota. This isn't the first time they've been with them. They were um, with Toyota several years ago, went to Ford recently, I think for maybe two to three years, and now they're back uh, with Toyota again. So obviously a bit of a reunion of sorts for that team. Um, and, you know, the name change is interesting, um, but I did read the explanation and obviously it makes sense, and maybe with the uh, manufacturer change, they felt that a, a rebranding was necessary too. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, obviously, um, you know, to go along with, you know, the fact that, that Ford's not only losing teams, but um, they're losing talent too, and that's already been talked about, so I won't reiterate it, but, um, you know, certainly um, a pretty significant loss, I think, for the uh, the Ford development program, you know, but certainly a big gain for Toyota as they uh, fill the void left by KBM. Okay, we're back to you, Tommy. Yeah, I don't really have much to add here besides, you know, we kind of knew a deal like this would be coming because, you know, with Toyota losing Kyle Busch, uh, it was kind of expected that somebody was going to have to be the Toyota team. So now... Basically, we need a Ford. There needs to be another Ford team, or somebody needs to switch to Ford since Ford lost those cars. And who is Kyle Busch's team going to be? And is it? Uh, it's going to have to be Chevy since he's with Richard Childress. So, um, you know, there's more to come to this story. And uh, also, I, I thought that Corey Heim was full time, but I, I, I guess, um, you know, obviously I, I must have misread that wrong. But um, to me. He's one of the guys that I like watching now because I think it was last year he ran part-time, and it was at like his first or second race at Darlington, and he was leading the thing. So, you know, wow, that's pretty cool. And then it was like early on in the season this year, and he got a win somewhere. Was it Atlanta, I think, or something? So I really think that he's, you know, one to watch. And so far from what I've seen, it doesn't look like he's pulled a Ty Gibbs or a Carson – uh, hosts of R and just, you know, moving people out of the way to get, it was a clean win. 
So uh, maybe he'll keep it that way, and uh, I'm excited to see him in the, in that new Toyota team. And I still, I don't know, I feel like they could have picked a cooler name. I don't have a problem with Tricon, but I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. I mean, I don't know why you don't just say DGR, but uh, I guess Toyota didn't want that. Okay, Jay. Well, I'm going to start this round with the hello and read what Mike had to say and then argue with him <laughs> since he's not here. No, um, he, uh, <laughs> he had kind of the same thoughts here uh, that I, I did mention. It says another loss for Ford on this one as they lost Tanner Gray. In my opinion, T. Gray had showed the best potential to eventually move up to Cup Series ride. Biggest second-order impact would be the future of SHR as there appears to be no heir apparent to the number four once Harvick inevitably retires in the new future. Uh, Priest is in play, but it sounds like Custer's time is limited, and Almirola is a big question mark. And there are some very, very pointed things there. The one thing is uh, the fact that he picked Tanner Gray as seeing the talent in. I think uh, Tommy hit on it there. And Corey Heim is the one. Corey Heim will be full-time. Taylor Gray is the one that is too young. Um, and we'll miss those first three races at Daytona, Atlanta, and Las Vegas. Um, so Corey Heim will be full-time, and he's the one I see with the old talent that Toyota did choose to make sure they hung on to. And I said I'd talk about the other two. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek, I saw an interview um, over this past weekend, a sit-down interview with him. Toyota has plans for him. They haven't announced it yet. I expect to see him in the Xfinity series in one of Joe Gibbs racing uh, cars that has been vacated. Uh, we're going to have a couple of them as all announcements hit the ground. So I expect to see John Hunter Nemechek full-time in the Xfinity series next year. That's just where I expect him to be. The other Haley Deegan, I think is one that Ford was committed to and her to Ford. We saw that with her Xfinity series start this past weekend. I think there's a couple of options there. Um, if she remains in the truck series, I would see her going to front row motorsports and replacing Zane Smith and Zane Smith being one to move to possibly the Xfinity series or otherwise Haley Deegan into the Xfinity series in a partnership with Stuart Haas racing possibly under the SS green light banner that we saw her make her start with. So I think those are, you know, Tommy said it, there's a lot more to come based out of this announcement, um, especially when it comes to, to Joe Gibbs racing Toyota on the Xfinity side. So we'll, we'll just have to wait for that. But as a whole, I do see this as a good thing overall. Um, Toyota does a great job. I love the fact of how invested they are in NASCAR in the series, truck series specifically. I know we talk about some of the others that maybe aren't as invested in the truck series. And I know Sharon and I talk about this each and every week. They, they provide a lot of the best racing action uh, week in and week out. So I like the fact that they are fully invested in it in three different ways. The tri-con uh, area. I'm going to have to work on that one. I still don't particularly care for the name. I, I, <laughs> Reading that full thing, I understand it's, it was creative. I just don't like it. <laughs> oh, I'll leave it at that. So, many right, people you. like it. They like it. Marketing likes it. MJ doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with regard to um, 
uh, Taylor Gray, you're absolutely right. He's the one that's going to miss the first three races of the season uh, because of his age and uh, will be starting at Coda uh, once he turns 18. Corey Heim and uh, Tanner Gray are the two full-time drivers, uh, I believe. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Corey Heim, uh, let's see. Corey Heim will run his, for his first Truck Series championship in the number 11. Uh, he's run 15 races this season uh, and has been pretty impressive. Tanner will continue to compete in the number 15. Uh, he runs his fourth full-time season uh, this year. Uh, the youngest champion in NHRA Pro Stock history uh, is looking for his first career Truck Series win. Um, and then uh, Taylor Gray will run uh, the, for the Truck Series uh, starting at Circuit of the Americas in March aboard the number 17 Toyota Tundra. So um, it's because of his age uh, that he will not uh, run the full season. Uh, he's made 12 truck starts with a best finish of six at Richmond in August, and he's competed through the ARCA ranks. Uh, and has scored multiple victories on the national East and West tours. Uh, that fourth truck, the number one, uh, will have different drivers to be announced uh, throughout the season. With regard to Haley Deegan, I agree with what Jay is saying. Uh, she's already said that she wants to race full-time in the Xfinity Series. So you've got to look at either Stuart Haas Racing or the affiliate SS Greenlight Racing, in which she did have a 14th place finish in her debut in that car uh, earlier this year. I think it wasn't last weekend, but the weekend before out at uh, Las Vegas. Um, and uh, who is, oh, John Hunter Nemechek, yeah. I, I'm kind of looking for him to be uh, full-time in the Xfinity Series, uh, under, uh, you know, well, well, we'll find out what he, who he's going to be with. But I expect him to be full-time in the Xfinity Series with maybe some full-time, uh, not full-time, but some uh, part-time uh, stints in the Cup Series for next season. So, uh, again, I agree with what everybody said. I think it's overall a good thing for Toyota, uh, a very uh, bad thing for Ford. Ford, I think, has to go through a reorganization uh, of their development program. Uh, I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it one more time here again. Their executives moved over to uh, the Chevrolet camp, and uh, ever since that has happened, uh, the organization has slowly lost its momentum and uh, is struggling. So I do see a reorganization uh, taking place within the Ford camp. Uh, these things tend to be cyclical, so I don't think it's the end for Ford, but I do think uh, that they're going to have to go through some rebuilding and uh, reorganization in order for them to move forward uh, from the 2023 season and, and beyond that. So with that, uh, I'll give you the last word, Andy. Yeah, to be honest, I um, I don't really have much to add, so uh, we can head on to the next one. Okay, so Tommy, what's our next hot topic? 
Okay, let's go with, um, let's see here. Well, let's keep it with the uh, truck series and go with Daniel Dye going to um, GMS in 2023. Okay, Jay, your thoughts about that topic? I'm excited about that. That is one of the ones uh, that I've kept an eye on. We've talked about him a lot this year in that Arkham Menard Series championship, um, the battle he had for second. Now, I know when we talk about some of these younger ones getting moved up a little too early, I see that as possibly a, a case with Daniel Dye. This was his first full-time season, but I think he's been with GMS Racing since 2019. So if they have the confidence in him and that's where they, they feel he's ready to go, I'm fully behind it. Uh, I know he had a teenager situation happen off the track, and that happens. Uh, We never saw a whole lot of that when it came to on the track, though. So I like that fact that we didn't see him making those young teenager mistakes, um, which actually some veterans make at time to time. Uh, We won't talk about that again, but uh, we saw that recently. So I'm really excited about it. I really about GMS racing. I was severely disappointed when they pulled out of the Xfinity series a couple of years back because I saw them as the team like Colleg Racing that was gradually building forward. They are with the Cup Series. Noel Gregson, Eric Jones with Petty GMS. They got their truck series. We'll see where the Xfinity series fits in there down the road, but I like the future of GMS racing um, as a whole and Daniel Dye being the 18-year-old that they're building it upon. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, this is a, an interesting move, certainly, that they're going to add uh, a truck team. I assume add a truck team. We know that um, they currently field the 23 uh, for Grant Enfinger, 24 for Jack Wood. I believe this will be a number 43 entry for Daniel Dye. It's always fun and exciting to see up-and-coming drivers, um, you know, reach that next milestone, and certainly – um, the, the scenario for Daniel will be that he'll not only be going full-time to the truck series, but doing so in, it, for a good team with good equipment. So I think that's going to be a, a good thing for next year. Um, you know, it's certainly nice to hear that GMS is going to be back. There had actually been rumors that they were going to shut the truck team down. So obviously that's not true. So good to know they'll be back for, for um, you know, the full 2023 campaign for the truck series. Um Obviously, a great opportunity. Looking forward to, to seeing what he'll be able to do in that truck next year. We know what that team's capable of. Uh, you know, a team that's won a lot of races, contended for championships. So, um, you know, there'll be growing pains, no doubt, but obviously a good opportunity, and hopefully Daniel Dye can make the most of it. Yeah, Daniel Dye was a championship contender this year in the Arkham and Art Series and. um uh, he came up a little bit short this year, but uh, I'm so happy for him uh, to be competing in the Craftsman Truck Series for next season. I think he'll uh, do a good job for GMS Racing, <clears throat> and uh, uh, he'll have some good teammates there as well. So uh, I look forward to seeing what he's going to do. Uh, I think uh he'll he'll surprise a few people i'm hoping that that's what happens uh when he races full time in that series next season uh other than that i don't have a whole lot to add so tommy what are your thoughts 
Yeah, I was gonna say. So I remember what a what a year for uh, Daniel Dye. Um, I wouldn't say the year started off great for him with uh, the trouble he was in uh, for that little high school incident that he had. But now he's going to be in the 43 car in the Truck Series next year. So and for GMS, who you know has good equipment with Grant uh, Insanger. Uh, you know, Jack Wood, uh, you know, he didn't look like he did too well this year. He struggled, but, you know, it was his rookie year. And, I mean, uh, the Truck Series has a lot of young guys that um, have to find their way. And, I mean, and even Haley Deegan. Uh, so, you know, they're not all overnight sensations. I mean, I did just look, and Corey Hyde has two wins already this year in the Truck Series. So, uh, you know, it's pretty good. Um, but curious to see how Daniel Dye is going to be. I know he's got a win or two in the Arca series, and he does look like one of the up-and-comer drivers in the uh, Chevy line, and now he's going to be at GMS. And, uh, you know, like y'all are saying, uh, pretty crazy for GMS, too. They moved up to the Cup series, and they were talking about getting rid of the truck team. But I remember when they first got that Xfinity win with um, what was it, Spencer Gallagher at Talladega. Mm-hmm. I was watching that race. And then Gallagher up out of nowhere just retires. I was like, well, dang. I mean, <laughs> you just won a race this year. Now you're retiring. So, dang. They didn't even uh, didn't even stick around, um, which I believe he said he just wanted to get a win, and then he was done, and that's what he did. So, But, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how GMS and Daniel Dye, how that whole situation worked out. I mean, like I just said, Daniel Dye didn't have the best start to the year. Um, and now he's going to be in the GMS 43 car next year. And GMS is going to close their truck team down, and now they're adding another driver. So how things change so quickly. But, um, yeah, Chevy and, and Toyota, they're looking all right. Uh, it's Ford that uh, has questions. Where are their developmental drivers going? It looks like the only one they have left is Zane Smith. Okay. Jay, your follow-up. Well, I, I, I guess I must have been napping. Uh, I didn't even see or hear about the possibility of closing the Truck Series team. When they left the Xfinity Series, uh, they said their focus was going to be back on the Truck Series where they knew they could be competitive and built their program um, and then partnered and moved up to the Cup with uh, Petty, Petty. So I hadn't, I hadn't even heard that. Um, but I think I, that you've seen it. It does take that entire pipeline and with the partnership, and maybe that's why they're putting this emphasis uh, with the truck series, with the partnership they have with GMS and they know what they can build at the cup level, you do have to prepare for the future. And, that, you know, that goes with the uh, Xfinity or truck series as well as then down into the Arkham Menard series. But I just, again, want to mention, that, you know, it got talked about, uh, not specifically, but he did have an off-track high school incident. On the track, though, you never saw that. Uh, he didn't win a race this year, but he ended up second in points. Going into the race, I know he was two points back. He always seemed to maintain his composure on the track, and that's what impressed me. He never got desperate to try and win a race, to take somebody out in order to get the victory like he felt he had to. On his bad days, he, with the team, rebounded and got what they could out of the vehicle. Um, so that's where I say I'm really impressed with him as far as it comes to that. And Tommy mentioned um, Spencer. I think that was a deal. We've seen it with a, with a couple others of 
doing what's best for the company. And I think Spencer maybe realized that, that in order to build for the future, they had to have a different driver in there full time. And, and, and I don't know if he took an executive role or within the shop or something, but I think he made the decision that for the company, it was best to have these young drivers that they can develop for long-term future of the company. And I think that was kind of the decision that got made there. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Um, yeah, uh, specifically about the future of the GMS team, it was it was mentioned on a podcast, so take it for what it's worth. Obviously, um, proving to not be true, and, and they'll stick around the truck series. I think they're good for the truck series. They've, you know, been able to win a lot of races and contend for championships over the last several years. Um in fact, I, I'd like to see them maybe grow back to what they once were, where they had four entries, um, you know, at various points of their tenure in the truck series. Obviously, um, you've had a lot of talented drivers come through their program, win a lot of races. So hopefully they can grow the program back to what it once was. I know this year they only had the two trucks. Hopefully um, this 43 team is an expansion team and, and not replacing one of the existing trucks. But either way, it's good they're going to stick around. I think that Anytime you can have a competitive team uh, compete in the truck series, it's a good thing, and and I think that they bring a lot to the truck series. So I'm glad to see that the organization um, will, again, uh, have a presence in the truck series for next season. Yeah, there's not a whole lot I can add to that. You guys have kind of hit on all the uh, key points here. Uh, GMS Racing uh, is a staple, I think, in the truck series at this point. Uh, I was impressed with how they started and how quickly they uh, kind of grew, and uh, they continue to do very well in the truck series. Uh, I think I agree with Jay. I think what they said originally was that they were exiting the Xfinity Series to focus more on the truck series and to potentially get into the cup series um and they felt that that was their best path forward at that time so uh, i'm happy to see them coming back and uh we'll see what happens with daniel die in that number 43 truck next season tommy you get the last word yeah i don't have much to add i did just want to say there was just like rumors on Twitter and, you know, whatnot, like Andy says, so, you know, take it for what it is. But I did thought of, we had saw where, you know, GMS was considering getting rid of their truck program, the focus solely on cup or something along those lines. I don't remember, but obviously it wasn't true. Like we're saying, cause they're adding Daniel die. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to, uh, you know, I didn't want to see GMS close the truck, now, not without at least returning to the Xfinity series, because I mean, they they're competitive. I mean, they were winning with Spencer Gallagher. They've been winning truck races, and uh, um, yeah, Eric Jones won a Darlington this year, so first year in the Cup series, and they got a win. So, uh, you know, now they're adding Noah Graxon next year. So, obviously, they had a good year, and they're expanding. Maybe we'll see them back in the Xfinity series, Xfinity series at some point, or like Andy said, go back to a four-car truck team. Okay. Okay, uh, Jay, it's your turn to come up with our next hot topic here. Well, I don't have to come up with it. Uh, There's a couple of surprises here with it, though. Mike posted it, 
Uh, Stuart Haas Racing loses their appeal to the uh, race manipulation penalty to the number 41 car. There's a tweet there from uh, Bob Pockris. The surprising thing was this one didn't get brought up already, and the other is Mike didn't have any comments to go with it. So. <laughs> okay, Andy, your thoughts about uh, Stuart Haas Racing losing that appeal? I'm not really surprised. I mean, these kind of scenarios typically don't end well for the team. Um, we don't typically see appeals um, go in the team's favor. Every once in a while we do, like we did with the William Byron situation. But oftentimes the the penalty gets upheld and the team has to deal with it and move on. Um, it is what it is. I think that, um, you know, if you're Stuart Haas Racing, you – are focused forward, not backwards, not looking in the rearview mirror. And I think for not only that organization, but for the rest of the garage, um, you know, the message is loud and clear, you know, don't get caught manipulating a race or don't even have the appearance that you're trying to manipulate the race because you will get penalized. And the penalty, as we've now seen, is quite severe. So um, I'm, I'm thinking in this case, you know, grin and bear the penalty and move on. And that would certainly be my mindset. If I were the team owner uh, at Stuart Haas racing, I think that the focus has to be on closing out these last two races strong to try to position themselves for a better year next year. So um, obviously I think there can be some lessons learned here about what not to do and, and hopefully they, uh, they learn and move on from it. Okay. Tommy. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, it is pretty crazy the the inconsistency this inconsistent yeah I can't say it inconsistency this year with the penalties. Um, uh, like Andy saying, I mean some some of these teams got to bite the bullet and take the penalty. I believe it was Michael McDowell and Al Colt Custer, and then it feels like other teams get the dodge bullets. Uh, yeah, William Byron wrecked any, uh, any Hamlin under caution and essentially got away with it because they gave him his points back, but they still fined him, essentially. And, I mean, look at what that did for the playoff race. I mean, William Byron's still in it. And I saw where there was a scenario where if that wouldn't have happened, like let's say this weekend Chase Elliott has a bad race and this is the championship four. Had his buddy William Byron not had those points given back to him, Chase would be in a better situation. It was something along those lines, which, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I already told you all on a podcast, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago now what I thought of the Cole Custer thing. I mean, I know the radio or whatever they have made it seem like they were helping the, uh, Chase advance into the next round, basically. But, I mean – what were they expecting? I mean, Cole Custer was going to obviously help his friend out there. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But And then there's the Bubba situation where he only got one race for what he did with Kyle Larson. But I have thoughts on that, too. I mean, Bubba's not the only driver to ever wreck somebody and then shove him afterwards. Uh, you know, people wanted him done for the year because of that. I mean, yeah, was it smart? No, because of the concussions. But Let's not and he wasn't the only one that's ever wrecked somebody. I'll just end it with that. I mean, there's been other intentional wrecks that were just as bad as Bubba's was. But I think one suspension's fine. Uh I 
What I don't like this year is the all-over-the-place inconsistency because, in my honest opinion, it does look like they're playing favorites. It looks like Hendrick Motorsports is a favorite. They get away with everything. And it looks like Stuart Haas this year is the problem child that NASCAR is just like, yeah, we don't like you anymore, so we're going to just give you penalty after penalty after penalty. Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, take a look at them. Now look at Cole Custer. I mean, I'm not saying that it's true that that's what NASCAR is doing, but I'm just saying anybody from the outside looking in can clearly tell that that is kind of what it looks like. Okay, yeah, I'm not surprised, though, that they didn't win the appeal. Um, uh, I agree with you. It, it appears to be an inconsistent process of uh, handing out penalties, uh, but uh, I think that NASCAR said that the main reason that the penalty was handed out in this particular case, and I'm not saying uh, that it, the inconsistencies aren't still there, but their explanation was that uh, the in-car uh, communication between him, I, I forget now if it was the spotter or the crew chief, I think it was the spotter, uh, that said something to him uh, during the race, uh, and so he, you know, he did what he was told, uh, and that that was uh, the the big reason for the um, uh, fine and the penalty. So uh, I agree with you. Uh, it, it does seem that there's some inconsistency in what they're doing uh, because we have heard. Uh, communication with the Eric Jones situation. Uh, there was clear communications there, but no penalty. So uh, I wish, I don't know if it's because it's, um, you know, helping a playoff player, a playoff contender. Uh, I can't remember now. Was Eric Jones helping a playoff contender? Uh, I think he was. Uh, so that doesn't hold water in that particular case either. Um, so I. I'm not surprised by the fact now it should be noted that Stuart Haas Racing can go for a final appeal. Uh, that appeal would be heard by one person, where this appeal was heard by three people. Uh, the, and those three people that heard this appeal included Dixon Johnson. He's a former marketing executive involved in racing. Uh, Dale Pinellas, uh, the Bowman Gray uh, promoter and marketer, and Bill Mullis, uh, the Langley Speedway uh, track owner, uh, were the three people involved in this particular appeal. The next appeal, by the way, uh, would involve just one person. And I did read earlier that NASCAR is involved. There's a person at NASCAR that is involved with helping to secure the people that will hear the appeals. Uh, and that would happen with this final appeal if it should happen as well. So that's about the only thing I can add to this um, is that there's still a chance they can appeal it one more time if they so choose. Oh, the only other thing I'll add is that this is not going to help uh, the relationship with Tony Stewart. Uh, he's a little upset with NASCAR right now, and losing this appeal is uh, going to add to his frustration with NASCAR, I'm sure. Jay? Yeah, I, I'm with all of you uh, to argue against Mike um, with that of the, the inconsistency, but we can't change that. And, and I think, to me, this became a point, and we saw it 
and I don't remember the year, going back to the Michael Waltrip incident, um, is the last time we saw something to this level or that it was penalized. Because uh, I'm, I'm one that definitely feel that uh, two years ago that the Eric Jones-Denny Hamlin deal was quite blatant, quite instructed, and, you know, black and white, um, that we haven't seen this again. I think it is a point of NASCAR has allowed little things, and as they give an inch, the teams and drivers are taking, and I say teams because that's what the focus is on, that they're taking a mile and giving an inch. And NASCAR said, okay, we're tired of you taking uh, in this particular case. I don't necessarily think it was directly at Stuart Haas racing. I know it appears that way, and if you're a Ford fan or an SHR fan or a Tony Stewart fan, I can see where you would feel that. I don't think it necessarily is. I would like them to see NASCAR eliminate the perception, though, that there is favoritism towards, and this is where Mike and I get into it, Chase Elliott specifically, but more so kind of HMS. And I could even argue against that, because Chad Knauss, I think, is still one of the most penalized crew chiefs in NASCAR history. So... It's not that there isn't stuff there, but as of recent, it has seemed to favor them more so than, in this case, Stuart Haas Racing. But I really don't think they're targeting SHR for any reason. I think they were saying, hey, you've pushed this line far enough. We're putting a stop to it. Um, It will be interesting, I think, if Stuart Haas Racing does that final appeal and takes it to that single judge, as Sharon talked about, because at this point they are saying there was no team collusion um, or direction of trying to help their teammate. It was, they felt it was for Cole Custer's benefit of having the flat tire. If that truly is the case and they're going to stand on it, almost think they have to take it to that next level, even if they feel they're going to lose to stand on what they've said. Uh, And I say this with the fact of we've seen it in the past, especially with crew chief suspensions. They'll say, okay, we just don't want to take the penalty right now. We'll, we'll appeal it and then withdraw it later. Um, pretty much, yeah, we know we're guilty and we're going to have to take the penalty, but we want to do it on our terms. If they really feel they were innocent in this, I would have to say they take it to that next level, to the, to the single appeal it. Um, because I, everybody has at this point maintained their innocence that, that it wasn't to help their teammates. So we'll see how that goes. Either way, I don't, again, I wasn't surprised it did not get overturned. Uh, I think it's good that it didn't based on, in years past, we've seen it, uh, you normally don't win an appeal. We have saw several this year that did, some of which maybe weren't even, we didn't all feel were should have been overturned um, or eliminated or changed. Um, the fact that it did stand, I think, gives that sense of, okay, that justice is being served and not, being swept away. Andy? What, what's interesting about this, too, this, this penalty being overturned, or the appeal not, not being overturned, I'm sorry, with this appeal, it is penalty being upheld, um, is it comes at a pivotal time, too. We're going into Martinsville this weekend, which is the end of the round of eight, um, the four championship drivers will be determined this weekend. Um, I think that there is the potential for shenanigans, and I think that the message that's sent by this penalty being upheld is if we catch you, you will get penalized, and it will be severe. And I think that, you know, this is a, a very important message to be sent to the, the garage 
So I actually I applaud the decision to uphold the penalty because you know we none of us unless you're you know in the inner workings of NASCAR the team or you know whoever collected the evidence none of us really know what the evidence is to suggest whether they did or didn't do something. That being said, um, obviously the um, appeals committee or or panel whatever they're called looked at whatever data was presented to them and felt that what the 41 team was egregious and, and, and obviously they upheld the penalty. But I think what's significant about that is, um, you know, if, if they catch you, they're going to penalize you and the message should be sent that the penalty will probably be upheld. So I think it comes at a very crucial time when you look at what's on the line this weekend, I'm not saying we won't see some stuff happen because we probably will, but um, I think it's important to uphold the penalty because I really don't want this to be the storyline coming out of yet another round of the playoffs. It was controversial to end the round of 12 going into this round, and we definitely don't want that to be the storyline going into uh, Phoenix in just two weeks. So um, I actually like the decision here to uphold this penalty, and I think that um, hopefully that means that uh, the storyline is on who makes the championship four and, and those four drivers and teams going into Phoenix in a couple of weeks. So um, ultimately I think it was a good decision. Okay. Tommy. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with what, uh, what you had to say there about Tony Stewart. He is not going to be happy. He's already unhappy, but I mean, it's been a rough year for him, honestly, the size, Kevin Harvick's two wins and Chase Briscoe's win at Phoenix earlier in the year. I mean, in my opinion, they've overall had a pretty tough season. So, and I feel like they had the most penalties this year and the most of those penalties were upheld against them because we have seen some get reversed. Um, I guess maybe it is just ironic that it's Ford versus Chevy with Hendrick Motorsports and Stuart Haas, but, like Jay said, like Mike said too, and like I've already said, I mean, Chase Elliott is NASCAR's most popular driver. Um, maybe it's just coincidental that he drives for Hendrick Motorsports and it seems like they get the, uh, you know, the uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, the slap on the wrist, whereas the other teams get the actual hefty, uh, fines and suspensions and all that good stuff. But my personal opinion on this is what was Cole Custer going to do? There's no way he wasn't going to help Chase Briscoe advance. I know the radio communication is what got him in trouble. And, I mean, it's NASCAR's decision. So if they feel like he deserves the suspension, then that's definitely what happens. But, I mean, I remember playing – a NASCAR video game back on the PlayStation 2, NASCAR 06, Total Team Control. And you could literally be racing as Jeff Gordon and switch to Jimmy Johnson so you could block for your teammates so he could get the points he needed to advance to the next round. So, I mean, <laughs> that stuff has always happened. That's what I'm just saying. Like, Cole Custer was going to do that. And it happens every year whether or not if it's the spotter, crew chief, or teammate radioing in saying, hey, Let's help each other out. So that's just my thoughts on that. It's just 
wildly coincidental that Hendrick Motorsports gets the slap on the wrist and Stuart Haas gets handed down the uh, harsh punishment. But I'm about like Andy. I like them up, upholding it because we're about to be at Martinsville. And I have a feeling, I mean, personally, besides Daytona and Talladega, in my opinion, the net, the best two next races are Bristol and Martinsville, the short tracks. And this is the race right before the playoffs. Somebody's about to get their their feelings hurt. If I had to put money on what I expect this weekend, I have a feeling Denny Hamlin's going to absolutely junk Ross Chastain like um, Matt Kenseth did to Joey Logano. That's going to be my bet, and that's going to be the drama going into Phoenix that Chastain's out because Hamlin wrecked him, and then Hamlin's going to be suspended because he wrecked Chastain on purpose. But then again, I don't think Hamlin's going to ruin uh, a chance for himself to get in a championship four. But Chastain has beef with just about everybody in the playoffs right now. And uh, I would not be the least bit surprised if we see Chastain not have a good week here at Martinsville. I think everybody has been saving, not wrecking him just for this one race, just so they can match him to them. Oh, there's a lot to unwrap there. Um, I did read an article here recently that Ross Castain has been really racing very differently uh, and that there hasn't been a lot of complaints about him racing uh, and getting to the front. Um, I will say uh, he's he's been getting some pats on the backs as well, uh, as it was related in this article that I read about how he has changed his racing uh, perspective in the way he races his fellow competitors. Um, I will say, though, that Denny Hamlin, it would not be the first time that Denny Hamlin has shot himself in the foot as far as his own championship uh, potential. Uh, and if he does that with uh, Ross Chastain, it's, it would just be another example of Denny Hamlin shooting himself in the foot in order to make a point with a fellow competitor. I think it would be foolish of him to do that. Um, and uh, I don't think it would be a championship uh, caliber kind of thing to do. Uh, I do want to see a champion with integrity uh, hoisting that trophy at Phoenix Raceway. And that is the challenge, the slippery slope that that NASCAR has before them with some of these penalties. Um, and with that being said, I do think that there's a couple of things that have happened here um, that have left a bad taste in some people's mouth. Um, let me just mention, first of all, with the William Byron situation, he clearly did what he did. And as a result of the appeal that they went through, the wording was the penalty could involve and or points as well as monetary fine. NASCAR had to change that rule to say and uh, points and monetary fine and take the word or out of there. Um, the appearance that it gives, though, with the uh, appeal board overturning the penalty is it looks like Hendrick Motorsports more or less bought out uh, the penalty 
uh, with the additional amount that they paid from 50000 to 100000 and that, so they got that penalty overturned by paying an additional $50,000. Um, I'm glad NASCAR changed the rule uh, for any future situations, and that's a good thing, again, to uphold the integrity uh, of the sport. Uh, but the second thing that's unfortunate in all of this is the, the penalty for uh, Cole Custer is that what they did did not change. Uh, uh, let me say it differently. Chase Briscoe had already qualified. He had the tiebreaker and had already qualified to make it into the next round without any actions from any of his team members. And that's what's really unfortunate about this whole thing is that they had it in the bag without any actions from Cole Custer or commentary from uh, whether it was the spotter or the crew chief or whoever it was. Um, they already had the spot in the final four with the tiebreaker. So that's, I think, the most unfortunate thing of that particular penalty uh, is that they already had it um, without any actions. But I do think that uh, overturning the penalty would have been a mistake uh, in this situation. Again, NASCAR wants to send that clear message, and I think part of it has to do with what happened with the HMS uh, appeal and how it got overturned. NASCAR wants to make that clear message that they don't want any uh, gamesmanship or uh, unusual activity uh, taking place in this race at Martinsville. But I think you're right. I think there's going to be uh, some gamesmanship. What's unfortunate is they're going to be craftier about how they go about it. It goes back to what we've said about Kyle Busch uh, spinning his truck to benefit John Hunter Nemechek in the truck series. When they asked him about it, he was very mum. He wouldn't even comment. So that's what we're going to see, I think, moving forward, is that these guys are going to be craftier about how they go about it. Uh, they're going to have code words. They're going to, they're going to be doing different things, and it's going to take some real um, detective work, if you will, uh, for NASCAR to kind of decipher all of it. Uh, now, we are at that time of the show where I do have to make an announcement, uh, especially for our first-time listeners, just to let you know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but we are going to continue our conversation, and we will continue to record that conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. Now, what I'll do is when we finish our conversation, uh, I will go out and let you know that the podcast is now available. You can then go to the player at com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of the conversation. Again, don't want anybody to be caught off guard or not know how they can hear the rest of the conversation. So with that said, we'll go to Jay. You get the final word. Well, you brought to, brought a couple of interesting things up here that I, I guess I didn't put two and two together. Um, going back to the William Byron one, and I would have to change my viewpoint on that then. If that's the way the wording was, I, I heard that it, there was a procedural process that was the question and why NASCAR's penalty didn't get upheld. 
And if it says points or money, then absolutely the appeal board did the right thing. It said points and or. The... It said points oh, and it... or money. And they did. Well, see, then it could. All right. They had to see, change I, I it don't know. To, they had to take the word or out of there and just change it to and. So it was and or, yeah, but, and now it just is and. But if it said and or, it could have still been. I don't know. I, okay. I but that changes a little bit too. Um, that it's one of those of a, I guess a technicality. Um, and I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll go long story into all that when it comes to uh, the law. But the talking about with this penalty being upheld going into Martinsville, and then Tommy was talking about Denny Hamlin. I think the Bubba Wallace penalty has kind of put all that to rest, whether he's deserved it or not. Anybody that goes after Ross Chastain that throughout throughout the year has said, hey, we're not going to let him win the championship or make the championship four, better be really discreet about it and, and have some um, clear-cut uh, mechanical issues, uh, to say that. Because that's with, with the Bubble Wallace. And I understand it's not at a high speed, but uh, like we saw at um, what was it Las Vegas, you know, Martinsville, you can get away with it more so because it is a short track, but Matt Kenseth's statement of it, I had a brake issue or a steering issue didn't help him against Joey Logano. So I don't want to say this was done to protect Ross Jastain because, again, I don't think that was the case. NASCAR doesn't want to see anybody put in danger by somebody outright wrecking another driver because it doesn't just involve them two, and we saw that with Christopher Bell. I mean, he had nothing to do with it. Then you go into the safety aspect of it, of, you know, hooking somebody like that, puts them into the back and into the wall, which we've seen be a problem this year. So um, I don't think it was to protect Ross Jastain, but I think it benefits him as he has had several indicate that they would not allow him to. Now, we have seen it where you can drive defensively um, to block, as Tommy put it, and I, I remember that video game. Uh, trust me, I did that. I'd line all four of my cars up with one win and then three to block. I, I did it Formula One style. Um, but NASCAR doesn't want to see that at this top competitive real life situation, and neither do I. Uh, when it comes to that, a video game's one thing. Seeing it on the track like that, I don't want to see that. I, I've never been a fa- in favor of that, which is why I don't like Formula One necessarily. But um, I think that these penalties, as, as Andy had put it, the timing of them sets that tone, and I think that's good that it's upheld. If Stuart Haas Racing really feels they didn't do anything intentionally and they appeal it and they're going to stand on their innocence, I understand it. We'll see how what comes of it. Uh, I haven't heard any indication that they do, but I know it was put out there. They still have that option. Okay. Uh, we've got, we can go to another hot topic here, Andy. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, this is, um, something I'm actually pretty happy to see. Um, and, uh, it's that Luke Lambert is returning to the cup series. He will, uh, join Petty GMS for 2023 to crew chief Noah Gregson, uh, next year. So, uh, what you curious about that? Okay. Tommy. Yeah, so um, I did see that where he's going to move up with Graxon. I mean, that's been a good combo for them. And I believe uh, 
Luke Lambert um, is now going to go back to the Cup Series because I believe he was there and then he wasn't. And uh, oh yeah, okay, here it is. He was with Richard Childress before, so I, I was like, I knew this guy was. He was with a Cup team before he was with Junior Motorsports. So uh, good for him. I mean, I think he's a pretty good crew chief. Uh, he was at RCR, and he was with Ryan Newman, uh, and now he's with. Uh, with Graxon and he's going to stay with Graxon. So, and that's huge for Graxon as well, because I mean, look at the year that he's had and now he's going to move him up with him, his rookie year uh, to GMS. So that's, that's great for Graxon. Honestly, uh, it appears to be working and um, yeah, uh, that's like, I said, all I can say is that's huge for Graxon. I mean, You've seen these drivers, how they work with certain crew chiefs. I mean, look at Brad Kay, and then he lost Paul Wolf. And, I mean, not saying that, you know, Brad Kay's not doing good without Paul Wolf, but, I mean, that's now Joey's crew chief, and Joey's got wins with that guy. So, I mean, it definitely matters. And um, you know, another good example would be Jeff Gordon with Ray Everham and Steve Letart and uh, Dale Jr. with Steve Letart. And, you know, Earnhardt and all of his crew chiefs, Larry McReynolds. Um, so, yeah, if the combination works like Luke Lambert and Gregson does, uh, why, why break it? And it's going to stink for Junior because he's losing a good crew chief. But, um, you know, it also shows that Junior is willing to let Gregson have Luke Lambert for his career, which I think is pretty cool, too. Because, I mean, I'm sure Junior could have been like, no, I want you to stay here and be with Brandon Jones, but, you know, I don't know how that stuff works, uh, what the crew chief's contracts are, and if they're tied into junior or if they're tied into being with the driver. But, um, you know, like I said, good thing for Graxon. He gets to keep on building the momentum with this guy next year at the cup level. Okay. Jay? Did I? There we go. Got it unmuted. Um, this one, there, there was. I saw some interesting stuff, and in, I thought Tommy was going to hit on it. Some people want to say that how uh, Junior Motorsports is being raided or, or whatever. Junior has said, Dale Earnhardt Junior has said it himself, especially with drivers, and I'd assume the same is for crew chief. He wants to be. He wants the people that work for him to have the opportunity to move up if that's where they want to go and be successful. So I don't see it as I'm sure you know he'd say, hey, we'd we'd like to have Luke Lambert stay with us, but he's not going to try and hold him there um, just for that. We saw it with uh, Rudy Fugel when he left Kyle Busch Motorsports in the Truck Series and went with William Byron in the end of the Cup Series. Um, and now Tommy did hit on a lot of crew chief driver pairings. The one thing I want I want to we'll have to wait and see here. It, it appears on the outside anyway, at least in the Xfinity series here, Noah Gregson and Luke Lambert make a great combination in the Xfinity series. Question is, is do they at the cup level? Uh, I hope so, and I think that um, the two of them together have been a good pairing, but sometimes that doesn't work at the cup level, and I, and I can't think of Austin Dillon's crew chief that they brought back to the three um, number three cup team. Benny, you know who that was. He had success with them back in the trucks in the Xfinity, but they went with somebody else at cup, and then they brought him. Uh, Danny Stockman. There you go. Thank you. 
Um, and that one just didn't seem to work at the cup level. Um, but the crew chief driver pairing is very important, you know, as, as Tommy mentioned, I mean, throughout history. And I think you've got to start at the top of Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson. I mean, seven championships, you know, I mean, that's a big one to talk about. You mentioned Everham. Um, Steve Letarda is one when it comes to HMS. Uh, Rudy Fugel. Now, like I said, that one has worked with William Byron on the cup level. So we'll have to see how this one plays out. I have full confidence in it, especially, again, going back to what GMS, Petty, Petty GMS is building. I like what they're building for the future there. Um, and I say, I, I saw some of the stuff that got was being spun about the Earnhardt Jr. And, and that team. That's listen to what Dale Jr. says. That's what he wants. He's excited when teams call to talk about some. One, it shows the success they're having. Two, he's happy for the people that he's providing that opportunity for, a stepping stone or a doorway. Now, if he ever goes to Cup, you know, then he might be a little bit more protective about his employees. <laughs> yeah, it is a definitely a good pairing. Uh, I'm happy for Luke Lambert. I've always liked Luke Lambert, and Andy will know this uh, as much as I do. Uh, he actually, his first uh, cup driver was with Jeff Burton when Jeff Burton was still driving the number 31 car at uh, RCR. So we've seen him from his uh, first job to what he's done uh, throughout his career, and now this pairing with uh, Noah Gregson really seems to be working well. Um, and I, I think Jay is right. I think uh, Dale Jr. wants to do what's going to be best uh, for the growth of not only the driver, but for the growth of the crew chief as well. And this is a good opportunity for Luke Lambert to get back to the Cup Series. Uh, and hopefully uh, they will have the same kind of success in the Cup Series that they've had in the Xfinity Series because um, they, they did quite well this year. And uh, it would be great to see that momentum uh, move forward. It's not going to be an easy transition. Uh, we've talked about this before. Moving from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series is a difficult transition. It's going to be that way for Luke Lambert as well as it's going to be that way for Noah Gregson. Uh, but the fact that they have that relationship with one another and that trust with one another I think will take them a long way. Uh, Luke's going to have to deal with uh, the next-gen car that he's not had to necessarily deal with in the Xfinity Series. And drivers that have raced both the Xfinity and the Cup Series have said um, the Cup Series helps them more with Xfinity than Xfinity is helping them with the Cup Series uh, because of the next-gen car. So uh, we'll see how that transition goes. I wouldn't expect it to be seamless, uh, although I will say that Noah Gregson has had some pretty good runs in the Cup Series. So um, uh, we'll see what happens next year when he goes full-time. I'm excited for uh, both of them to be getting this opportunity. And uh, like I said, well, when I started, I've always liked Luke Lambert, and I'm real happy for him. Andy? Yeah, I'll reiterate um, what you said, you know, always – admired and respected Luke Lambert and what he's done in the sport. Um, he actually years ago was, was the engineer in the 31 cup cup for Jeff Burton. Mm-hmm. And he uh, was promoted to crew chief uh, midway through 2011 when that team was struggling. He was the interim crew chief and he actually 
helped increase the performance of that team to close out the year. And then he went to work on Elliott Sadler's Xfinity team. Those guys won a lot of races in 2012. Uh, he came back to be Burton's crew chief um, for what was ultimately his final full-time season back in 2013. And then, of course, he went on to work with Ryan Newman and uh, spent some time at Roush Fenway Racing and really has built himself, you know, a pretty lengthy and successful career, um, you know, and, and so – you know, from a personal standpoint, for me, it's fun to see him get this opportunity to get back to the Cup Series. And sometimes, you know, we've seen this before, you know, drivers have bet on themselves by leaving the Cup Series to go back to Xfinity and and rejuvenate their career. And I think this is a prime example uh, for Luke to go back to, you know, the Cup Series after having a, a resurgent year in the Xfinity Series. Um I think he helped give Noah a breakout season this year. Um, and it's not that Noah hasn't won races previously, but this year in particular, I mean, he, they've been incredible. I think they've won eight races. Uh, anytime you can win that many races in a season, you've had a really good year. So, um, you know, the fact that they're going to get to go together to a new team and hit Petty GMS next year uh, is a good thing. I think the chemistry's there. Obviously, they've had a, a lot of success this year. And, and to your point, uh, I think it was uh, Jay's or Sharon's point, no, the success may not necessarily translate to the Cup Series, but they're going to be a lot more comfortable in working with each other knowing what they've been able to do together this year. So um, I think it's a good pairing. I think that um, it's a fantastic opportunity. So certainly excited to see this and excited for Luke to, to get himself back to the Cup Series. Okay. Um, Tommy. (laughs) I don't really have much to add here besides um, pretty awesome that they get to build on the momentum that they've had this year. They've had a really good year. I mean, there's a good chance Noah wins tomorrow and, or yeah, tonight, or I mean, yeah, tomorrow or Saturday, whenever the Xfinity race is, I mean, didn't he already win at Martinsville earlier this year, or was that Josh Mayer? I don't remember, but either way, he's had he's had eight wins this year. He could end up with ten. He could win the next two. Um, what happened to Ty Gibbs? <laughs> what happened to his competition? Uh, but, um, yeah, Luke Lambert has had a really good year with Noah Graxton, and it's Honestly, after Andy said it, you know, they're moving up with basically a new team next year to GMS. I mean, that's pretty scary. I mean, Eric Jones already had one win this year. I would say look out for GMS next year. They might be the the team that has, a you know, a breakout year with Jones and Graxton. And Graxton with Lambert might win Rookie of the Year. I have a feeling he's going to be competing with Ty Gibbs in the 18 car, but uh, to be determined on that, I'm pretty sure – I mean, now that Brandon Jones is uh, replacing Graxon, I don't know who else you could see going into the 18 car. I would say maybe John Hunter Nemechek, but there ain't no way that the coach's grandson just doesn't get that car. It's, that's just got to be it. That's my opinion. And um, anyway, great to see Graxon and Lambert getting to stick together and uh, go to GMS together. I would be on the watch out for those two next year. Okay, Jay. The more the more I was thinking about this, of uh, this might be the building of a partnership 
if you will. Um, you know, Junior Motorsports has talked about not being able to foot the bill to get a charter or move into the Cup Series. Maybe Petty GMS becomes Petty GMS Junior. Um, you know, with with what they're building there, I, you know, that could happen down the road as taking on a third partner uh, with that organization, which I think would be great and an opportunity for Junior Motorsports to move up as a whole in conjunction with that team or expand that team. So. Uh, we know he can't with uh, with Hendrick. They're already at their four. You know, that was always a discussion. So I, I look forward to the future, and, and I really do. Uh, this was a, a driving topic on the Sirius XM uh, with Dave Moody a, a day or two back of, is GMS Petty going to be, or Petty GMS, going to be next year's track house team of, it's a little bit different. They're not a new organization, but coming together in their partnership with what they've done here in year one, and coming out the gate next year, could they be like Trackhouse this year and kind of surprise everybody and come out the gate strong? And I, th- I certainly think they have the chance. So I like what I'm seeing out of that organization, um, adding some very key personnel uh, with with Luke Lambert. Again, the pairing he's had with Gregson this year, I don't know how you don't give him that opportunity at, at the cup level because um, they have seemed to match up really well and just uh, put it on him in the Xfinity series. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thought, Jay, of, um, you know, uh, I know that Junior's talked about, Junior Motorsports has talked about wanting to go Cup Series racing, uh, and that might be the path that they take. Uh, I think that's an interesting path, and I like the idea that they could be the next track house racing. I love what track house racing has done this season. I love the whole attitude of that organization and what Justin Marks brings to the table there. Uh, I think it's fantastic, and uh, there's the possibility that they could do that uh, with the Petty GMS. And what what a um, uh, transition, if you will, uh, or not transition, but uh, partnership that it would be with uh, Richard Petty and the Earnhardt family coming together uh, within that one organization. I like the idea. Whether or not that's what's going on here or not is yet to be determined, but I like the way you're thinking there. Um, again, it's just speculation at this point, but I think it's it's a reasonable speculation there. Um, but again, getting back to Luke Lambert and Noah Gregson, uh, I think it's a, again a good pairing, and uh, looking forward to seeing what they do next season. Andy, you get the final word here. Well, I'd like to you know touch on the fact that I think that this helps to elevate Petty GMS racing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Eric Jones and, and his crew chief Dave Ellens, also an alumni from JR Motorsports, who was the former crew chief of the nine Xfinity car have had, you know, a decent amount of success this year. I know they didn't make the playoffs, but they did win the Southern 500. And they've been a pretty consistent top 10 team, especially in the second half of the season. And I think that team's only going to get better. And I do think that bringing in uh, Lambert and Gregson in the 42 only really helps to elevate that whole team. Um, You know, no disrespect to Ty Dillon and that team, which is the current 42 team, but they have struggled immensely this year. For whatever reason, that whole situation just plain didn't work. So um, I think that you bring in a much more um, competitive combination possibly in, in Lambert and Gregson. And I'm not saying they'll come in and light the world on fire. There will be growing pains, 
um, you know, given the fact it's a, a new crew chief and a new driver to that organization and to the next-gen car. But I, I just think that it's a potent combination, and I think that it will complement the existing uh, 43 team. And I think that anytime you can come in and have two competitive teams, it only helps to elevate the performance of that organization. So in my mind, it's a significant step up from what the 42 has been this year. And, you know, and that only helps the 43. If the 42 runs well, the 43 runs even better. So ultimately it's a good scenario for that team. And I think that you'll see um, potentially a a pretty marked improvement uh, from this year to next year. Okay. Uh, Let me look at the time here. Uh, 9.50. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if we can get one more topic in, but we'll give it a shot. Uh, Tommy, do you have a topic you want to make sure we talk about? Um, does it have to be one off the list or? Well, it doesn't have to be. We, we, we kind of list it so everybody can be prepared to talk about it, but what do you got? Uh, let's see here. Um, no, I'm looking through right now. Um. But there was one about a driver to bring up. Oh, do you have one, Jay? I I was just going to say we we could talk about who we think the championship four are going to be as Martinsville will determine that. Okay. Well, let's go with that then. Jay, you want to go first? Well, we obviously know Joey Logano is locked in. Um, I still think especially coming out of Martinsville, Chase Elliott is going to be one of them whether it be by points or not. Um, I think Ross Chastain really does have a shot. Uh, I know when we were doing the preview show, uh, it didn't mention it, but in this round, he has finished second in both of the two races. Martinsville, not necessarily his best statistical track, but he's been in the best position this year that he's ever been in before with, uh, with track house. So uh, I think Ross Chastain might be that third one. The fourth one is where I get little concern or a uh, little questioning. Denny Hamlin runs good at Martinsville, but we, we kind of talked about it. He has some history of shooting himself in the foot, as Sharon put it. So we'll have to see. I think the fourth one is kind of a question mark to me. Uh, William Byron, the winner at the race in the spring. Now we know that there's going to be a huge difference between the spring race and this fall race. Temperature-wise, weather-wise, what they've learned with the car. So William Byron, Denny Hamlin are in that points battle we mentioned. They're five points apart. But then you also have Christopher Bell. Got to prove something. Go out and win on a short track. We know he's good at short tracks. He comes from short track dirt racing. Um, I think that fourth and final spot could be really interesting. But I'd have to give Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Ross Jastain, and then... I'd say flip a coin, but there's more than two drivers, so roll a three, four-sided dice for the fourth <laughs> one. Okay, Andy? Yeah, so I'm going to echo some of what Jay's already said. Um, Joey Lugano, obviously, you know, is already locked in. Um, you know, looking at Chastain, I mean, that that to me is, is 50-50. I think that they've certainly been good enough all year to make the final four, but um, that that's a scenario where even though he's second in points right now, I, I could see that 
potentially changing. Um, and, you know, so if Chastain doesn't get in, you know, you're looking at probably Hamlin. Um, Chase Elliott, I think, is a given based on his success on short tracks in Martinsville. Um, and then, and then obviously, I think you got to go with with William Byron and or Denny Hamlin. So I think, you know, realistically, you got to look. At, I guess if I have to sit here and say who do I think the four will be, Logano and Elliott for sure. Um, I think we we'll just throw we'll throw Chastain in there, and then I think Denny Hamlin. Um, but uh, it, it will get interesting. And of course, you know, deep down, I wanted to beat Chase Briscoe, <laughs> but. I mean, they're in a must-win scenario, and, and certainly that is doable, but that's, that's a tall order for sure. So if I'm going to be realistic about it, I guess, you know, Logano, Chastain, Elliott, and, and probably Hamlin if i got to go ahead and pick four. Yeah, it, it is tricky because I do agree that it, Joey Logano, um, it, there's a possibility. Th- I see Chase Elliott as more the 50-50. He's had an up-and-down playoff. Um, and the first race of the playoff is the worst race for him uh, traditionally in this particular playoff. Um, but I'm going to say he's and he's only 11 points to the good. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to improve on that at Martinsville. It's a good track for him, and uh, we'll see what he does there. Ross Chastain, I think, um, has built up some capital for himself. Uh, with changing his racing style. Uh, it doesn't mean that Denny Hamlin might not try uh, to get some revenge with him, but um, I think it's going to shoot himself in the foot if he does. So <clears throat> as far as the fourth driver, I, I don't care if it's William Byron, Ryan Blaney, Christopher Bell, or Chase Briscoe. I just don't want it to be Denny Hamlin because I, I just uh, have had enough of his mouth this season and I, I don't think he's championship caliber. I keep hoping that he's going to mature. And in the, I, how old is he now? I have not seen Denny Hamlin actually mature. So I, I really um, don't think that he deserves to be a champion this year in the way he's presented himself um, as the public face of uh, the drivers. Uh, I don't see him as a leader. I know he sees himself as a leader, but I don't see it. And uh, maybe he is. Maybe I'm wrong about all of that. But I'm just not impressed with Denny Hamlin. So I don't care who it is. I'd love to see Christopher Bell do what he did to get into the round of eight and maybe get a win at um, at uh, Martinsville and, and make his way in. Uh, it might be at the expense of William Byron or some of the others. But um, like I say, it doesn't matter to me who it is as long as it's not Denny Hamlin. (laughs) And I'm just being honest. Tommy? (laughs) You feel about Denny the way I feel about Joey, but unfortunately for me, Joey's already punched a ticket to the championship four. Um, So in addition to Joey, if I had to base the other three drivers just based off of Martinsville only, it would be Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and William Byron. But if I wanted to be uh, – let's just go with the two locks, I think. I think your two locks are going to be Joey and Chase. And your two, the two that I definitely don't think that are going to make it are going to be Christopher Bell and Chase Briscoe. Um, 
I feel like we've all forgotten about Ryan Blaney. He's still in the right round of eight final eight mm-hmm. drivers, but he doesn't have a win this year. And uh, he has not had a good year, in my opinion. I'm actually surprised that he's still in the playoffs. He's the only driver that made it that didn't have a win, and he made it all the way to the round of eight. But that's the consistency part. He's had some consistency, just hasn't been able to win. But I don't see him winning this weekend. So I say it's going to be between the top five, Logano, Chastain, Elliott, Byron, and Hamlin. So like I said earlier, I really think it's going to come down to Hamlin and Chastain. I could cause Byron one in the spring, and but also I could see Byron not making it. That's why I'm calling Logano and Elliott my locks, because I can see Chastain, Byron, and Hamlin, and then a wild card um, fighting it out for those final three, two to three spots. So um, I don't know. We'll have to see, but. Martinsville, the fall race in Martinsville always have some drama, whether it be Joey and Denny, Joey and Martin Truex, Denny and Chase. Uh, Kevin Harvick was in it. I mean, who who even knows what's going to happen, but I can't wait. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Uh, no, I gave my four. Uh, I do have a couple of things. One, I, I, you guys mentioned it. I really had forgotten Ryan Blaney was even in it. Yeah, you say he's not winning, but he has had such a consistent year, so could be a uh, wild card or a dark horse, if you will. Sharon, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, for a couple of years now, it's not a matter who you want to win; it's who you don't want to win and represent the sport. Uh, you know, a few years back, it was anybody but Harvick. It reminds me yeah. of my mom. Uh, she she does that a lot. It was like she's a, I don't care who wins as long as it isn't this guy, uh, and that changes uh, week to week, but uh, or race to race. But uh, I appreciate that. Okay, Andy. I don't have much follow-up here because you basically took every single word out of my mouth that I would have said about Denny Hamlin, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, You know, I kind of feel the same way about him, so yeah, I guess we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Martinsville is my absolute favorite racetrack on the circuit, so I'm hopeful that the racing is good. I know that um, there were complaints about how the spring race went, so I'm hopeful that this time around is, is a good race, and, um, you know, I'm sure that uh, some stuff will happen, some tempers will flare, and I'm sure that'll just give us all that much more to talk about on Monday. So that we have a lot to look forward to. Okay. Uh, I'll just echo those same sentiments. I'm looking forward to the race. I can't wait to see what does happen uh, and who our final four are. I, I guess – the only other thought that I would add there is William Byron. I don't think um, I don't think I want him to be the champion either. I like William Byron. Uh, I go all the way back with him to the Canon Pro Series, uh, but what he did with uh, that pit road maneuver, I think, was wrong, and I don't like that uh, they. It was a technicality that got him out of that penalty and made it a points penalty instead of a, uh, I mean, made it a financial penalty instead of a points penalty. Uh, so uh, I, as far as 
uh, keeping with the integrity of uh, who a champion is, uh, I don't. I think that move takes him out of the contention for me for me as well. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and Tommy, you get the last word. I don't really have much to add other than um, just ready to see some racing in Martinsville this weekend. I think that the Xfinity and Cup race. And I feel like the rest of the of the se- the rest of the races this season across all three series is going to be don't miss television. Okay. Well, next week the question will be who do we think the champion is going to be after Phoenix? Uh, so we'll we'll pick up on that conversation uh, next Thursday night. Uh, but uh, again, thank you everybody for being here. Let's go ahead and uh, do our roundtable. Andy, we'll start with you. Uh, for me, Twitter is uh, CB14Fan, and as always, it's a pleasure to be on the show tonight and uh, looking forward to the racing this weekend. And uh, I, I don't think I'll be on Monday, but certainly looking to hopefully be back next Thursday. Okay, awesome. Tommy? Uh, at Sense95Fan on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow, and you can check out some of my diecasts. Tomorrow is going to be a Ricky Rudd day. Uh, 1028, so Todd and Halloween. Okay. Yeah, really. Uh, Jay? Uh, You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I guess this week I did represent Mike on Twitter as I started some serious stuff. Uh, Tried to show (laughs) some love to Dave Moody and created controversy that he was leaving, but... uh, so if you follow along in that thread, uh, it wasn't intentional. I didn't intentionally stir anything up. <laughs> okay. Um, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including our Fan for Racing website at fanforracing.com. And we also have our um, radio player available at uh, the website. So uh, thanks to our Fan for Racing crew for being here tonight. It's always a lot of fun uh, discussing our hot topics. And Jay as our co-host for the preview show. And then uh, to our listeners for tuning in, whether it's the live broadcast or the podcast, we appreciate each and every one of you and hope you enjoy the the, uh, show as much as we enjoy doing it. So uh, looking forward to the racing at uh, Martinsville. We've said that a few times tonight. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, what we have to talk about on the other side. Monday night show starts at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and I'm sure we'll have some subjects to talk about on our Hot Topic Sound Off on Monday. Uh, And time to be determined, but uh, watch for our post. Uh, We'll give you the exact time that our Hot Topics will start. Okay, with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night. Have a good night. Enjoyed it. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Enjoy your racing.
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.